get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. into the middle. Shoot, score! Svechnikov came down the left wing and inside that face-off circle snaps it high blocker side on Bennington. Haynes win the draw. Oh, they bring it in right off the face-off and score. There are a lot of blues standing around on that one. Back into the middle. Fost is there to Aho and he scores. Sebastian Aho wins the battle on the near post and tucks it in. It's 3-1 Carolina. Push it back in. The time will tick off. That's going to be the end of this one here in Carolina. The Blues have stumbled on some tough offensive times here on a three-game losing streak. Not just offensive, but just struggling in every area. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, we knew this was coming. We knew that the Blues were going to struggle down the stretch. And we knew that when you go up against a team like Carolina, who, man, every time I watch them, every single time, I leave saying, how the bleep has that team not won a cup in the recent in, in recent years? Well, they'll get there because they missed the playoff for 12 consecutive seasons. So you pile up those first round picks pretty heavily. Jeez, they're, they are really good and they are well coached and they are fast and aggressive. Yeah, I love Rod Brendamore. God, they are fun to watch. Okay, but last night what you saw, that team just puts crazy amounts of pucks on net. And when you are a team in the spot that the Blues are in right now, that is a recipe for disaster. In the first two periods last night, Alex, the Carolina Hurricanes had 24 high danger scoring chances at just five on five. They had a total in the first two periods. This does not include the third when they basically sat back and were like, okay, this game's over. Had 39 scoring chances at five on five. Let me say that again. In the first 40 minutes of play, which included 38 minutes of five on five, the Carolina Hurricanes had 39 scoring chances. It was a minor miracle that game was as close as it was. Yeah, we call that Jordan Bennington. Yeah, he played (laughs) really well last night. Once again, that was an absolute disaster of a performance and a reminder for everybody, including us. This team needs an overhaul, man especially defensively. This is talking about the forwards. This is talking about the defensemen. You had seven of them active last night. You ended up with six of them after Tory Krug went down. This team is just nowhere close to being where it needs to be defensively right now. No, in watching that game, look, you're bound to lose to the teams that you're supposed to lose to at this point of the season. And they did that against the Carolina Hurricanes. But watching that game, um, people can talk Timo Meyer and Jacob Chikrin 
and any other absurd name you want to bring up via trade. That's not going to fix what's happening right now for the Blues. The only way what's happening right now for the Blues is going to be fixed is if the identity of this roster changes. And that's kind of what Doug Armstrong's going about. JR mentioned it in his piece. We referenced it a couple of days ago. Doug Armstrong, it, it wouldn't be surprising if he just decided to blow this thing up in terms of players on the roster and bring in other NHL players to get a different identity because there was just there was no there was no commitment to the game last night from the Blues. Now, I know Baruby said afterwards that he didn't mind the first and third periods and they did get scoring chances. The problem was Craig Baruby has referenced this in the past. He and his coaching staff view a good game defensively, not allowing 12 high danger score, more than high danger scoring chances of 12 of them. Uh, They did that in the first and second period. So not a good game. But again, we've talked about this at nauseum. It's not just one single player. I mean, there was a play last night that Carolina had the puck on the near side wall at the blue line, and they did a cross ice pass through the neutral zone onto the tape of a player on the other face-off circle. Mind you, that's the entirety of the ice. And that player got a one-timer off. The puck went from one stick to the other stick through four players, and a one-timer was taken. It's just a great pass. No, not a great pass. He didn't thread the needle, as they like to say. He threaded, I don't even know, the hula hoop with that one because they were just, I mean, it's the parting of the Red Seas out there. This team needs an overhaul. That's what Doug's looking at right now. And I go back to that quote that he said the rest of the season. I'm going to evaluate. I know what winning looks like, and I know what quitting looks like. And we'll find that out after this yeah, season. Yeah, last night was quitting. Like, we can just go ahead and say it. That was not a quality performance by anybody that was on the ice on the blue side of things. Uh, natural stat trick puts together the heat maps, right, of where the shots are taken. Last night for the Carolina Hurricanes, red is bad. You don't want to see red for the Carolina Hurricanes on these heat maps. The entire front of the net area is red. All of it. That's the opposite of what the Blues are trying to accomplish. I can promise you, I don't need to know what the game plan was last night. It wasn't that. You don't want to see that. And so I, I saw JR tweet this out last night. He asks to his uh, to all of his followers, listen, we all knew that the rest of this season was going to be rough. But as you look at what the team is right now, and especially taking into account the fact that they are without Jake Neighbors, what are you watching for the final five weeks? And for me, my answer was very simple, Alex. It's, I want to find out what you have right now in Thomas and Cairo. Like that line should be considered a top line in the NHL, regardless of who the third person is on their line. That should be one of the best lines in the league because of those two players. Last night, it very much was not. It was a bad line for the Blues. When they were on the ice for St. Louis, they were a liability for the Blues. And so moving forward, that is the group that I will be watching. That is the group that I am curious about. about. Last night, the Carolina Hurricanes had 20 scoring chances when the Thomas Kyrou line was on the ice. The Blues had two. They were outchanced 20 to two when the Kyrou Thomas line was on the ice. It's unacceptable. Like I can be as high and as excited on those two pl- on those two players as I want to be. That is an unacceptable effort by that particular group of players. They got to be better. Yeah, well, and on top of that, and Thomas said it after the game, too. 
But, I mean, your line that was Thomas, Kyrou, and Barbashev, and mind you, and I said this postgame, I know this is going to sound like an excuse for some people. To me, it's an explanation. You are without two very important offensive players in Brandon Saad and Pavel Buchnevich. If those are there, Barbashev's probably playing on your third line or guys are pushed down. But I don't care. That was the line you had last night. Kyrou, Thomas, and Barbashev, they combined for five total shots on goal. Josh Levo had five shots on goal. The line that was Alexandrov, Tyler Pitlick, and Alexei Toropchenko had eight shots on goal. You had three power plays in that game. You know how many shots on goal Kyrou and Thomas had on those power plays? That's a goose egg. That can't happen. And that's the second straight game that those guys have really struggled on the power play. It it has to be better, man. It's and one thing if it's they're not scoring goals. It's another thing if they're not creating goals and they're a defensive liability because that's the outcome that we saw in Ottawa and that's the outcome that we saw last night. If you're not creating offense and you're just giving the puck to the other side, well, you're going to find yourself down by three goals in the first five minutes. They were lined up against that Ajo line. Svechnikov had a fantastic game last night, especially in that first period. But like you're supposed to be able to match up with the Ajo line with Thomas and Kyrou. That's supposed to be the matchup that they're they're going up against. They're tested against. And last night they failed the test. Like that was a flat out F. Hmm. You, you cannot play a worse. Before. You cannot play a worse game than what Thomas and Kyrou did last night. And it's an unacceptable effort. And so down the stretch, what am I evaluating? I want to see what those guys look like. I don't care if it's Barbie on their line. I don't care if it's Torpchenko that's on their line. I, I do not care who that third player is. Those guys are paid after this season $8 million per year on an eight-year contract. And I think they're very good players. And I think it was a smart decision to give them those long-term deals. If the Blues' next core is going to work, whatever it ends up being around them, they have to be the players that Doug Armstrong expected them to be whenever they got those contracts. And last night, man, that wasn't even a $2 million performance that we saw out of those two. Yeah, and I, I, as much as we talk Jordan Cairo, I would say start focusing on Robert Thomas. I agree. If you're Blues fans, because um, Noah O'Reilly now, he's taking the main face-offs. He's going to be the one taking the defensive zone face-offs. Next season, he's going to be the guy that's on the penalty kill. He's going to be on the power play. Like, he's in every area of the game Last season, he looked like he was building towards becoming that number one center. And this season was a regression for him. And I'm sure he would even admit that to you. But you're not seeing the consistent playmaking ability. You're not seeing the smart decisions made in the offensive zone. And what I saw last night against Carolina was very similar to what I saw against the Ottawa Senators. It was just slow play back when the um, the Carolina Hurricanes were rushing up the ice. And those elements lead to disaster. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day today. We did get a couple of texts on the text line, Alex, that basically asked, is is it possible that this is a good thing for the Blues? They are losing the games that we all expected them to lose. And now you look at where they are draft pick-wise, and they're potentially going to move up the draft lottery. All right. Right now they're ninth. for Bedard. They could potentially move up to eighth, depending on what happens over the next couple of games, because Philadelphia is barely in front of them points percentage wise at this point. Is that good for the Blues? Yeah, I think in the long term, it's good for them. I also think you don't want to just completely turn the page on this season if you're these players. I want to see more out of Thomas. I want to see more out of Kyrou. The guys that you're banking on long term, you don't want to see them get into terrible habits because that's when 
you get into next season, you start seeing some of the same stuff when you're trying to win again. And that can become a problem very quickly. So you don't want the snowball effects to be there. You want at least specific lines that you're counting upon, not just for this season, but future years. You want them to be able to perform. And last night, that wasn't anything resembling. A if I'm going to try and be optimistic like that texter is, I'm assuming, looking at and we all want to live longer, as Mike Schilt has told us. That's right. Maybe it's a good thing to get smacked in the face pretty hard. For the rest of the season to where you say, God, I hope that never happens again to me. But that's only if you're mature enough and have the willpower enough to say, like, I'm not going through that again. And that is what I think you're bringing to BK of uh, going to be paying close attention to. Like, are there any strides forward with those guys? Joey and I talked about it on pregame uh, a couple of games ago. And he even said, like, this might not got this might not get any better until March 3rd because there is a lot of uncertainty around this team before it was just Ivan Barbashev. Now it could be Colton Pareko, Tori Krug's names in the, in the rumor mill. Um, so there's probably a lot going on in that locker room right now. There's no denying that, but Joey seems to think, and Joey's been around locker rooms, whether it was trade deadline season on a good note or a bad note. He said, March 3rd, this might be this way up until that point when oh, yeah. you know what your team looks like. Uh, this one comes from the six, three, six guys. I'm getting a little depressed. Can we please talk about Mizzou basketball now? M-I-Z. We can go ahead and do exactly that coming up did. next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Noah Carter straight on three. Noah Carter buried it. Wow. <laughs> Why not? Nick Honor three on the way. What a shot from Honor! Let's it fly. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like last night on SEC Network. As the Missouri Tigers pick up a massive, massive victory at home against a quad one opponent in Mississippi State. Alex, Mizzou has now won 20 games in a season for the first time since 2018. You may remember that as the Michael Porter Jr. freshman season. If they win one more game the rest of this year, which, God, if they do not, that is a problem. But they're expected to. BKO. Last time Mizzou won more than 20 games was 2014. To put that in perspective, that was my senior year in college. It's been a good minute since Missouri's won more than 20 games. 2014, you weren't in high school yet? I don't think so. I graduated Man, in 18. I graduated. So it would have been like your eighth grade year. Yeah. I graduated Lindenwood. So. <laughs> exactly. Yikes. So it's it's been a while since we've seen a team perform like this. Alex, last night was so encouraging in so many different ways if you're a Mizzou fan. The first of which is this. You were able to beat the exact type of opponent that Missouri struggled with so far this year. And maybe more importantly, you were able to beat them playing their game. You beat Tennessee, who plays this same way, by scoring 86 points. They were dragged into your fight. You pushed the tempo. You made it a three-point shooting competition, and Missouri ended up coming out on top. Huge win for Mizzou, but that's the way we've seen them win most of this season. Missouri had one other game this year in which they scored fewer than 70 points and won. They were basically even on the rebounding numbers last night against Mississippi State, a team that is top 25 in the country, 
when it comes to offensive rebounding. By the way, there is all of one team, one team in the entire country out of 360 of them that allows offensive rebounds at a higher rate so far this year than Missouri. They get dominated on the offensive boards. If you're a Missouri fan, you know oh, that. <laughs> Last night, good. though, they, they, they didn't eliminate it. They limited the opportunities from Mississippi State. That is such a big win for Mizzou, man. I didn't know they had that in that ba- in their bag. And for them to be able to pull that off down the stretch, I think it locks them into the NCAA tournament as long as they don't pee down their leg in their last oh. three games. I don't expect them to against Georgia, LSU, and Mississippi, uh, Ole Miss. None of those teams are very good. BKO, BKO. This, this was a huge, huge, huge win for Mizzou. What was impressive to me about that win was, it, as you mentioned, very similar to that Tennessee victory where it was back and forth. You found yourself up, you found yourself down, but you found a way to win. And those, I think, are important games if you're a team trying to build something and then also you lost to this team pretty handedly what was that two and a half weeks ago Mm -hmm. and that was on the road so you take it back home you give it to them and you win that game now granted that goes into overtime where they had the opportunity to end it but this isn't hockey where you get points in OT or anything like that I, I just I love the willpower of this team that feels like even when things start to get messy on the court where what was that game where they were up by 17 18 points and then they Arkansas. choked yeah when things get messy it doesn't feel like it's over last season when things got messy for Mizzou it was done as soon as the team started their run it's like well Mizzou can't dig their way out of this hole they've dug and they've dug and they've dug and they've got a ton of dudes who can hit those shots whether it's Nick Honor as we heard with that one Demoy Hodge has done that Kobe Brown has done that they've got a roster in place that that wants the ball in their hands And it's a group of winners right now, which I'm excited to see what they can do moving forward. You know what I thought was super meaningful last night was Trey Gamillion being back in the lineup. Yeah, that's a good point. His presence changes the way that they defend, man. It really does. And Nick Honor was huge. Kobe Brown, once again, he played 41 minutes last night. It was incredible. A very good performance by him. It took him a little while to get going, but once he did, second half, he just dominated the game. Domoy Hodge with another, what was it, five, five steals, something like that in the game. Defensively, he's a game changer for them. Trey Gamillion's the guy, though. What? Nothing. T-Bone and I made eye contact, and I'm not really sure why we made eye contact there. Uh, Trey Gamillion, the way that he's able to perform for this team, 10 rebounds last night, just battled his ass off on the defensive side of the ball. He's the glue guy that every team needs. When you get into this like second half of an NBA season, you start looking for, okay, who are going to be the role players, the three and D types of players? Gamillion isn't much of a shooter, but he is that glue guy that you're going to need. And he's such, I mean, last night after the game, Dennis Gates mentioned it. Uh, he's going to be a head coach someday in college basketball. And you can see that. You can feel his presence once he's on the court. Realistically, I mean, we sit here, and I'm with you, BK. Like, they, they solidified their spot in the uh, in the tournament. That's pretty obvious. But realistically, watching them now, where they've gone through this gauntlet of a schedule, where they've taken on some tough opponents, they couldn't beat Texas A&M, they do beat Tennessee, how deep are we talking Mizzou? Because I originally, like before they got into this this heavy schedule in February of these teams and they've kind of gone up and down, they looked like a team that could at least get to the Sweet 16. I mean, that that was always a lofty expectation to place upon them. I th- This is a team that has already exceeded any reasonable expectations for them. By Ken Palm rankings, they're 62nd in the country right now. By the net rankings, they're 51st in the country right now. I think that sounds about right to me. How good is this team? I don't know. They're okay. They're pretty good, but they find ways to win. And so that's really all that matters. 
If they get bounced in the first round, that to me would not be a disappointment. Now, do I want to see them go further? Yeah. Does their ceiling, is their ceiling a team that can maybe make it to the Sweet 16? Sure. If they hit some shots, they get a couple of bounces that go their way and they outperform expectations defensively, they could. But the expectation for them was always just get into the NCAA tournament. That's the hope. And now we'll see where they can take that. This has been a, a super fun season. Um, I, I don't think expecting a Sweet 16 or anything like that, though, is reasonable. I, I'd agree with that. I, I think the expectation should just be, hey, we got in, okay, just whatever happens, I'm happy with. You know, if you're a Missouri fan, I if they get to a Sweet 16, that's great. If they lose in the first round, I agree with you, BK. I, I think it's, uh, you know what, it's disappointing. But, hey, I didn't expect this team to be a tournament team this year. I do think they have more, I don't know if upside is the right word, but I, I think they have a better opportunity to go on a deeper run than the Illini because they have the shooting to do so. The Illini defensively they're great but it's not very often that we see defense propel a team forward in the NCAA tournament it's typically shooting that ends up doing sure. that and that's where the line I lack when you look at them as a roster so I, I think would it shock me if Mizzou ends up being like a 10-11 seed and goes on a deeper run than, than the Illini no, it wouldn't shock me at all because they've got the kind of formula that you need. They play fast, they force turnovers, and if they get hot from three-point range, they can take down anybody. I think they're probably, my guess, it's so hard to know projecting what the seeding's going to be in the NCAA tournament, but I think they probably end up in like the 8-9 line, and that's where it gets really hard is you're, you're probably going to play a one seed in the second round. Do I expect Missouri to beat one of Houston, Alabama, UCLA, Purdue? Like, no. I, Kansas... I really don't expect them to beat one of those teams. Can they, though? I mean, Tennessee is considered a top-five team in the country, and they already beat them. They beat them on the road. So can they win those games? Yes. Would you go into that game expecting them to beat them? No, not at all. And so, therefore, if you get into the second round, you lose to one of those teams. Do you think that's a disappointment, Alex? No, I don't. Getting to the tournament is not a disappointment or is a success in my eyes. I'm with you. I'm just asking because we had the lofty expectations for a stretch there at the beginning of the season that felt like, damn, this actually team could go a little bit deeper than any of us expected. I think I still feel the same way today as I did then. It was because after I think you're talking about that stretch where they beat Illinois, beat Kentucky, that those two games back to back. And it was Dark like, damn, OK, like maybe this team is a little better than we expected them to be. And at that point, we raised our level of hope. The ceiling of the season went from get into the tournament, be happy about it and lose in the first round to, hey, maybe this team does have a little bit more in them. They're more talented than we thought, and so they can actually win a couple of games in the tournament. I still feel that same way about them. I think they can beat anybody. I also think they can lose to anybody, and we've seen that recently where they really struggled whenever they went up against Mississippi State on the road. They really struggled against Texas A&M a couple of times so far this year. The Florida game did not go well for them. It's entirely possible that one of the next two games at Georgia or at LSU, they lose one of them. They can lose to anybody still. So I can they lose in the first round? 100%. They could lose by 10 could they end up going to the Sweet 16, including a win against one of those number one seeds? Yes, because of the shooting that you talked about, Tanner. And, and I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I, I think that Missouri, there is definitely a formula to where if you're an opposing team, how you can draw up to beat them. And, and what that is, is you just put Kobe Brown in foul trouble. Yeah. I, I would attack the hell out of Kobe Brown. Once you get into the tournament, I don't know who they'll be playing, but 
I would just go at Kobe Brown because if he gets in foul trouble, we've seen that's basically the kryptonite for Missouri. And the reason I said I don't think a lot of teams have the kind of formula for a loss is because like I can look at the Illini and I can say, okay, how would you beat the Illini? There's not one player I say, okay, if you can find a way to take him out of the game, you're going to beat the Illini because they're they're balanced scoring wise. They struggle to shoot, but they're balanced scoring wise. And there's not one player that is truly like the guy that has to be on the floor for Illinois to have success. Missouri, there kind of is that with Kobe Brown. And the reason I say Formula has success because they are balanced scoring-wise too. But Kobe Brown's clearly their best player yeah, and clearly their best rebounder. And if you take him out of the game, it becomes a massive struggle for Missouri as we've seen in SEC play. I will say just one other thing to throw into that conversation. Uh, the Muhammad Diara development that we've seen in the last couple of weeks has been significant, not just for this year, but for the future as well. We've talked a couple of times about how the... Dennis Gates' development plan for individual players is significant. I mean, we've seen it with Kobe Brown with his three-point shooting. He's one of the best three-point shooters still in the SEC so far this season. Muhammad Diara went from a guy that was playing like two to four minutes per game in the first half of the season to a player that in his last six is playing 20 minutes per game on average. And he's a guy that is almost seven foot. I was going to say, is that the big dude they put in late in that game last night? That was the other one. That's the walk-on oh, okay. that came from Cleveland State. I was say, he is a monster. Diara is a guy that can shoot from three, has the size inside as well, and can defend a little bit. Having a guy like that does change things a little bit for Mizzou. They still, though, Kobe's the guy. Kobe is your number one player. There's no doubt about it. You run the entire offense through him. When he's in foul trouble, Missouri has some struggles. That being said, you've won 20 games for the first time since 2018. You're likely to get to more than 20 games, 20 wins for the first time since 2014. What a year this has been. Dennis Gates, kudos, sir. Well done. Well done. You exceeded every possible reasonable expectation. In about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, the Lars Newt Bar hype has arrived, and it's not just coming from me anymore. Now we've got two national analysts that have joined in on the discussion. We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe. Subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the air, deep rights. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Lars Newbar with a huge second half of the season last year, and now he's getting all the hype. And oh. no, Alex, it is not just coming from me anymore. It is coming from national outlets. The first is Eno Saris, who writes for The Athletic. We'll have him on, I believe, tomorrow to talk a little bit about the Cardinals pitching and his excitement for Lars Newbar. Here is what he wrote. 
Quote, this past offseason, he spent a little more time trying to hone in on his ability to pull the ball in the air, which should turn more of that raw power into home runs. He added that Lars Newtbar could, quote, easily hit 280 with 25 home runs and steal at least 10 bags this coming season. This is a guy that he is picking to be one of the breakout candidates, not just for the Cardinals, but for all of Major League Baseball. There's another. That just pisses Tanner off, doesn't it? Dave Schoenfeld of ESPN.com picked his favorite breakout candidates for this upcoming season. There's two of them, T-Bone. He wrote about Lars Newtbar, saying, quote, he's my favorite sleeper breakout candidate in Major League Baseball. Lars Newtbar revamped his swing before 2022 and had a very impressive underlying metric season. Uh, He said that'll work. Oh, and he also has a strong arm, above average speed. He was up and down between AAA and the majors the first few months of last season. But once he was in the lineup on a regular basis, he hit 250 with an on-base percentage of 375 and slogged over 500 in his final 250 plate appearances. The Cardinals have a crowded outfield competition, but Lars Newbar should start the field or start the season in right field. I am predicting some big time results. End quote. You guys feeling the hype? <sighs> Newt, there it is. T-Bone and I are ready to newt all over this Cardinals team this season. You guys getting shirts made? Oh, my God, yeah. We're yeah, newting all Bush. over Bush. We knew- Did you just steal what T-Bone and I created? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, it's copyrighted, okay? Yeah. It's ours. Okay. T and A, man. How are you guys feeling about the Lars Newt Bar hype right now? You buying in? <laughs> I mean, I'm buying in because it's an unknown, but I don't know if I'm buying into putting up numbers that we haven't seen in a really long time for this Cardinals team. I- 280, 280 with, with 25 home, home runs, runs and 10 steals. Let's go, baby. Every time I get numbers like this about a young Cardinals player, I find myself sadly disappointed and sobbing in my basement in the dark after a Cardinals loss in like June. That's just Tuesday nights at the Ferrarios, man. Well, I do sob a lot in my house, but it's mostly just because of exhaustion. But yeah, I mean, I'm buying into the hype because we saw it last year. We all talked with it. Peak lose large Newt bar. That's what we're expecting this season. He's got the power. He's got the context. We know he's got the speed. So yeah, I'm buying in on it, but there's a very... There's a very cautionary buy-in with this. It's like when somebody tells me to put stock in something, I'm a little cautious because money's very important to me. The entire list of players for the Cardinals over the last 20 years that hit 280 in a season, finished with at least 25 home runs and stole at least 25 back, or stole at least 10 backs. Oh, this has got to be a long list. A lot of guys do this, right? It's an easy task. Tyler O'Neill did it in oh, okay. 2021. Well, Lars Newbar can do that, right? Of T-Bone? course, finished in the top 10 in uh, MVP voting that season. Paul Goldschmidt also did it in 2021. He was an MVP last year. He was also in the top 10 of the MVP candidacy. Albert Pujols did it three times <laughs> because, of course, he did. Right. 2010, 2009, and 2005. And then Scott Rowland also did it in 2003. Any guesses on where he finished in the MVP Probably voting top in 2003? 10. I'd go top 10. He didn't finish in the top Whoa, 10. Whoa, BK got us there. So basically, if, you, if you're if you not named Scott Rowland in the last 20 years, Man. if you did this, you finished as a top 10 MVP. Think about this. Lars Newtbar. You got th- top 10 MVP candidacy this year. You got three Albert Pujols comps on this team. We've got the uh, Jordan Walker comp because he's mm-hmm. putting up numbers that haven't seen since Albert Pujols in, in um, the minors. Uh, we've got the Juan Yepes, Albert Pujols. I was Pujols, wondering if you were going to mention that. Where, yeah. I mean, Pujols even said it himself. He looks like me. And now we've got these comps. Absolutely. 
And then on top of it, you got Goldschmidt and Arenado who are going for MVPs again. Don't forget again. about Contreras, who's replacing literally Albert the production Pools. that we got out of Albert last season. You've got like six of them. You've got re- six Alberts on this team. T-Bone, do you remember back in like 2004, 2005? No, you, were, you were no. a young lad, four years old, pooping in your diaper still, I would imagine. And you watched four years old. You watched Albert Pools. What <laughs> guys don't open their diapers still? You were watching Albert Pools on television, and you were thinking, "Man, wouldn't it be great to have like six of Albert Pujols in your lineup?" Welcome to 2023. I just enjoyed the one. I had reasonable expectations. <laughs> and, and joking aside, I'm excited for Lars Newbar, but I am a little cautious with this just because. We haven't seen it for a full season. Because you hate fun. Well, no, I don't hate fun. I just literally no, I brought up T-Bone pooping at four years old and six Albert Pujols in a lineup. I'll hate fun. I'll hate fun. I'm, I'm, not, well, buying, I'm, that. I'm not buying into the hype of the Lars Newbar train. I've been saying this all offseason long. I think Lars Newbar's ceiling is always going to be a fourth outfielder. I, I think we're going to get into a month <laughs> into the season. We saw a higher ceiling last year. Yeah, and but half I, of I, a season. I think players can get on hot streaks and carry that for a two-month stretch I like mean, Lars did. Dylan I, Carlson did it for I, a full season. I think Lars Newbar is closer to his first half self than he is in the second half that we saw. All so right, well, that's <laughs> ridiculous. I, I, that's I, think, ridiculous. I think he's a fourth outfielder. I, I, I've said this all offseason long. I, let's not act like this is brand new for me. I've always been peeing in Lars Newbar's Cheerios. Gross. Uh, but but I, I think that Lars Newbar is best served as a fourth outfielder. I'm not saying he's a bad baseball player. I just don't think we're going to be seeing a guy that's hitting 280 with 25-plus home runs and 10 steals. That just seems ridiculous. If he hits 240 to me and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, he's kind of a leadoff guy, and then he loses his job to Jordan Walker, that's what I'm expecting. I, I expect Lars Newbar to be on the roster all year long. I'm not expecting him to be penciled in the starting lineup once we get to, like, May, June. I, I do. I so I, I'm I, that is where I differ. I do agree with you though on one cautionary tale with Lars Newbar. In his career, he's a two thirty hitter. Now, this is a small sample size, but it's over more than a full season now. It's about five hundred plate appearances and he's hit two two thirty. I don't think that it is fair to expect out of Lars Newbar that he's suddenly gonna turn into a two eighty hitter. I, I don't think he's a guy that hits for a lot of average. His on-base percentage is going to be extraordinarily high relative to his batting average. I think a good season for Lars, though, is probably about a 250 batting average. And then he gets on base about 35% of the time. That's pretty damn good, man, especially if you're hitting for power along with that 350 on-base percentage. So I, I think that is where I'm definitely in line with you, Tanner, is the average is, I think, going to be lower than some of the more um, bullish projections for him. I do think, though, that it is very reasonable to expect him to hit 20 home runs this season. I do think that it is very reasonable to expect him to steal at least 10 bags this season, especially with the revamped rules this upcoming year. So I, I'm I'm higher than than Tanner is on, on Lars. I also think that there might not be a player on the team with a wider range of outcomes than Lars Newbar. I think his ceiling is, it's crazy, but it, his ceiling is like a Tommy Pham, what was it, 2017 season? And his floor is what Tanner said, where he's a fourth outfielder. That is a crazy wide range of outcomes for any individual player. And I don't think I can say that about any other player on this specific team going into 2023. See, I'm the flip. Which is what makes him fun. I'm more confident that he could be a 280 hitter than I am that he could hit 25 home runs. Oh, really? Yeah, because I see him as the leadoff hitter for this team. And in contact, I feel like is going to be his expertise for how hard he hits the ball. And I would say his his expertise is getting on base. And and not because of contact, but because he has such a good eye and he takes his walks. The 25 
25 home runs is what I'm skeptical about because I, I he feels a lot like Dylan Carlson to me in that sense where he's got the power, but you're just not seeing it on a consistent basis enough. But how Tanner feels about Lars Dupar is how I feel about Dylan Carlson. I think Dylan Carlson is going to be that guy who becomes a fourth outfielder because of this season for Lars Newtbar. But I'm also a little worried that the inconsistency is going to be there, which is why I'm cautious with Lars Newtbar. But the inconsistency with Lars Newtbar is going to be very minimum compared to what Dylan Carlson is going to be this season. Troll or text three one four three nine 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 six. It's always a troll. I saw Tanner on his cell phone a couple of seconds ago. So this one comes from the three one four. You guys always expect the. You guys always expect the least out of the Cardinals. There's like three players that you guys like, and you just bleep on the rest of the team daily. Didn't we say like eight guys are going to hit twenty home runs last season for this team? How many times do I got to say, I think the Cardinals have a chance to be the best offense in baseball before you guys start to... I, the, I, the well, that's only because there's three guys going to be performing well. I've said that their rotation is going to be one of the best in the National League. I think they have a chance to be like the third best team in the National League this season. Tanner's the one that hates this Cardinals team. Tanner hates them. I want you guys to remember this. The show is not one person. It is three of us. And we have very different... Alex loves Colton Pareko. He's the one that loves him. Not me. Boy, remember that, loves remember him. that. Boy, last night tested my love for him. <laughs> I'm the one that loves Jordan Cairo. Don't put that on these two last, individuals. Last night I had to test that love for yeah, him, too. Josh Levo outplayed the guy you love, so. I mean, we all have very different beliefs on different players on different teams. So, yeah, um, T- Tanner's the one to yeah. direct your Tanner's, eye or two. Don't Tanner's, say this show. Say Tanner yeah, hates the Cardinals. Tanner's drinking the Haterade, not us. Yeah, yeah. We're that, drinking that the Gatorade. Hey, man. Red. My, the flavored. eye test for me says Lars Newpar, fourth outfielder. The eye test. I don't care about your analytics. Those are ruining baseball. <laughs> from the 618. That texture is crazy. BK loves every Cardinals player as if he is still viewing everything through a six-year-old's eyes. Coming up in about 15 <laughs> minutes or so, what would you, yes you, be willing to give up for Timo Meyer? You guys can send your thoughts in on the Air Comfort Service X line at 314-399-9646 or the mic drop feature, which is on the 101 ESPN app. But coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Oh, I figured we were getting something about this coming up eventually. From the 402. Alex, can you check out where the 402 is? Uh, yeah, area code 402 would be in the lovely state of Nebraska. Lincoln, Omaha. Nebraska. Oh, Lincoln, Nebraska fan. Okay, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, good luck up there. I, I like the Matt Rule hire. Is it up there? Yeah, I guess it is up there. What do you mean, is it up <laughs> there? <laughs> As opposed to, like, south of us? Uh, I would have gone with over there. <laughs> okay. But. It's up and over, yeah. I guess you could say. You gotta go, you gotta go at least a little northwest. Sure. Okay. All right. Safe to assume your City SC match preview against Austin is coming up in the 1 o'clock hour or not. Nah. Only Randy and Michelle can talk about soccer, eh? Well, uh, 
Well, <laughs> she, she's not on radio anymore, but. Or can we talk more about the fourth and fifth outfielders instead? You guys need to be uh, better. You know what, though? Oscar Mercado is going to have a really interesting spring training. So um, if we want to get into that coming up in the one o'clock hour, I'd love to. I'm with you. There. Coming up at 1230, we will explain how MLS is paving the way for the future of sports television. That's maybe. not previewing their season, BK! <laughs> Tanner said, maybe. That's a fair point. <laughs> Touche. Uh, also, what are reasonable expectations for SDL City SC? I think that'll explain why we are not previewing their, their first matchup. We'll do that coming up here in about That 50, is true. That is very so. true. <laughs> uh, somebody else, please never talk about City SC. We will talk about them because they're a news item. Um, but, like, if you're expecting me to be the pl- the person that's going to break down what the specific matchups are for their opening match on the pitch, man, I'm really sorry. There are great places to go to for that breakdown. I am not your person. That'll I, be me. Just I'll, to, I'll be the soccer just guy. To, this, uh, this is slightly a diss and also not. The fact that he said pitch, I'm impressed by. That's and match. Because I, I would have said I, game. Yeah, I, you know, good for you, man, because I didn't think you had that in your repertoire. I've been watching Welcome to Wrexham. They, they tell me all about uh, all of well, the never mind. <laughs> I've been, been watching Lingo. a lot of Ted Lasso lately. Uh, to get ready for the season. Yeah, that's another reason why we're not breaking down SC. <laughs> Somebody said you wouldn't know the projections for SC if they if they hit you in the face. Guys, I know how to look at Vegas odds, and let me tell you, they ain't great. All right. Oh, uh, he just... Just squirt bottled all over SC fans. <laughs> Come Careful. on, man. Wait, what? Careful. <laughs> Careful. All right, from the 314. Alex, do you think that no. Doug Armstrong will make it to the draft with all three first round picks? No, he'll have four first round picks after they train Ivan Barbashev. Oh, loophole. Uh, no, he will not make it to the draft with all of those. Either in March 3rd or before the draft, he will not be selecting three times in the first round. So I agree he won't be selecting three times in the first round. He might go into draft day with all three, I think. I, I think he could pull off a deal on draft day. Maybe not at the draft, but I think it may be one of those. Because we always see kind of draft day is typically kind of like the deadline where teams end up running to a where they've got to make something happen. But because after these picks are selected, then the trade market kind of dies down in the offseason. So I think he makes a move. I don't think he does it at the deadline. I think it's more on draft night. He makes a trade, whether it be, you know, shipping out Colton Preco or someone like that, one of the defensemen and attaching a pick to him, or he ends up making a trade and swinging for someone that we don't know is available yet. I would be shocked if he ends up selecting three times in the first round. I think that there will be at least one of those that is used in a deal to get a player. I don't think that Doug Armstrong has the stomach, and I don't think he should, uh, to go through a legit rebuild. And that's probably what that would require, is you the going only, through a, a bigger downward spiral than what we're The only expecting. pick I expect him to be selecting is his own pick in the top 10. I could see him making two, just depending on what the opportunities are that become available. But I... Again, three would be a shock to me. Yeah. Uh, from the 636, Alex, are you ready to defend Colton Pareko today? Uh, sure. What would you like me to defend him over? Uh, I have a question about when he fell in front of his own when he goal. Like oh, me yeah, on because, because you're yeah. the most sturdy person in the world, right? No, but. You don't fall every once in a while? No, but he's getting paid six and a half million not to fall on his butt. That's fine. Um, so I'm glad that you never make mistakes in life, Tanner. 
Let's also discuss if we're going to go down that path. Okay. Him falling while his other defending partner stood around and watched that puck go in the net. Yeah, but he's an alpha dog, and oh, the alpha okay. dog shouldn't fall okay. on his ass. In 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 all honesty, there's I mean, there's no defending that. That is how the season has gone. Uh, this season has just been a disaster. And uh, you remember when Thomas Grice entered the game for Jordan Bennington and fell skating to the net? That's kind of the equivalent of what last night was for Colton Pareko, just back skating with the puck. It, it just that's how the season's going to go. But if I mean, I'm assuming they're taking a shot at me because I am the Colton Pareko defender. But uh, yeah, let's judge Colton Pareko off of that play from the three one four guys. I can't wait to see how the Blues are going to be able to fit all of these players that they're trading for, according to you underneath the salary cap. I think that we've made this very clear. If the Blues end up trading for forwards, they have to trade defensemen. And I think that that is, based on all of the reporting that has taken place at least, a likelihood. Yeah. I think the Blues are going to trade at least one of their top four defensemen. And I think the likelihood is, like, I would set the over-under at one and a half, and I might take the over right now on trading multiple top four defensemen. I could see them trading Krug and Pareko, maybe not both at the trade deadline, but certainly before the start of next season. And I love how it's according to us, but not Frank Saravalli, who's reported Timo Meyer, Pierre Lebrun, Darren Dreger, Elliot Friedman. We have Jeff Merrick on who told us about the possibility of Jacob Chikrin. Um, and there are plenty of national analysts around the NHL currently that are saying that there are multiple teams that have called about Colton Pareko and Tory Krug. But yes, according to us, all of these guys are going to be blues. All right, final thing here. That felt a little passive aggressive. I apologize. No, I like it. From the 618. Guys, let me get this straight. You don't know anything about soccer matchups, so you're choosing to ignore the team instead. How would that be that how would that work if you did that with the other teams in the market? All right, I We have not done this a lot. I'm going to go ahead and give you my full opinion on us talking about soccer on the air right now. I we are not going to be breaking down the first matchup because frankly, this is my opinion. You guys can disagree with that. And I totally understand that is fine. A lot of you and certainly us have not seen this team play yet. It is impossible. Even the national analysts don't know what to make of this team. I've done some reading on it. Most people are like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like because a lot of the guys that they've added are relative unknowns. So me trying to break down what the specific matchup is going to look like in Houston this weekend. I, I don't have anything for you. Just being totally honest. I got nothing for you. I don't know what to expect. After I watch them play this weekend, I plan on Monday to have a segment with us talking about what the team looked like. I can't give you anything that you can't get elsewhere, though, on this team going into the weekend. And so, therefore, I, I'm not going to talk about it because I don't have anything to add. There are certain things that there is just like... There's nothing to add. I think it's really exciting that St. Louis has a soccer team. I think going into the first home game, we're going to try to get people on to talk about what that experience will be like for you if you're going to the stadium. All of that stuff, super interesting to me. Me breaking down the specifics of the X's and O's of this matchup, I, I don't have anything for you. I, I really don't. And there are places to go for that content. And I, I would hope that you guys can and will seek that out if you're looking for it. I'm just not the place to go to for it yet. Once we see this team play, once we understand what the roster looks like, once we have a better idea of the reasonable expectations, that is when we can start talking about that. And that starts next week. Coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, I want to discuss what they're doing with the TV side of things because I find it to be fascinating. But the actual players on the team, the X's and those of it all, it's very hard for me to give you guys an honest opinion of it. And I'm not just going to sit here and fake it. I'm not doing it.
And to that point, because I saw someone text in and say, well, then get someone on that knows what, what they're talking about. The national analysts are just BSing through their teeth right now. They don't know. They don't know what to expect. Any expansion team in any sport is always going to be a great unknown to where it could be one of the worst teams in the sport or they could end up going on a run like I think it was Atlanta FC that ended up going on a run in their first year. I would expect that they're probably going to be one of the worst teams in the MLS this year, but That's I won't know. is expecting, but they don't know. And we won't know until we see them on the field, to your point. Somebody so, on the text line says, how about that they've named a captain? What do you want me to add to that? I, you're right. And there is a really good piece over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch that I did read on that they named him the captain. I don't have an opinion on it because I've never seen the guy play. There's a difference between breaking down an expansion soccer team where we haven't seen these players play and being named a captain than the Blues naming Braden Shen as a captain. Because I've watched Braden Shen play. I have no idea about this individual player. And if there's somebody out there listening that says, well, I've watched him his entire career up to this point. Well, then congratulations. You are an avid fan and you are so excited for this. I am too. But like you said, I'm not going to come on the air and, and act as if I'm an expert when it comes to the MLS City SC. I'm going to be watching like you, most of you, and then Monday ready to discuss them. Somebody else from the text line um, mentioned, I, God, I want to find this, but I am struggling to find it. Because they're all of, flowing yeah. in. Uh, somebody, okay, you guys won't even address any of the new signings or the fact that they're in training camp right now. Again, guys, we are a discussion show. That This is something that does sometimes, I, I think, get lost in translation, is the way that we operate on our show, or at least the way that I do, um, and I can only speak for myself. I like having conversations about things that will incite a discussion upon the th- uh, with the three of us. The news updates, Tanner's mentioned who they have signed. I don't have a lot of thoughts on who they have signed so far because, again, not only do I not know a lot about a lot of these guys, even the national analysts that you guys want us to get on, they don't know a lot about most of these guys so far. We will find out on Saturday. When they play, we'll find out more about those players. As they continue on in the regular season, we will have guests on to talk about their performance. This is the type of thing where I will be looking more at the results, the on-field product, as opposed to trying to project, just like we do, honestly, with a lot of the college teams locally. We don't do a lot of previewing before the season, we do a lot of looking back on what their performances were because it can be difficult sometimes, especially for the casual fans, to be familiar with a lot of the players because there is so much movement in college sports nowadays. So, again, this is me taking ownership of the way that we have done the content on this show. If you disagree with it, if you are upset about it, I understand. There's a lot of places that you can go to find that now. Again, next week, we will approach it differently. Because we will have seen them play. But that's the way that I'm approaching it. And hopefully you guys understand that. And if you do, if you do not, I understand. That's fair. We'll talk about MLS coming up at 1230 with the way that they are approaching their rights deal. And I find that to be very interesting. Coming up next, what would you be willing to give up for Timo Meyer? 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll give you our thoughts on it. We'll give you some of the national outlook on what it would take to be able to acquire him. That's all coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
one thing that I do know what we're going to do, though, is if we if we move picks players, it's not going to be for one-year players. Uh, we, we need to, again, retrench players in their 25, 26 and under that have term on their contract so they can grow with that next core of players we have. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. In about 20 minutes or so, we're talking MLS, ladies and gentlemen. Yes! Uh, They are paving the way, I do believe, for the future of Cardinals and Blues fans. If you're wanting to find out what the future looks like for watching your teams locally... It very well could be something similar to what the MLS is doing this year. Oh, I and I we're talking about how they're going to pave a way to a championship. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on that. We'll get into it coming up at 1230. Also, reasonable expectations for City. We'll do that all coming up at 1230. But Alex, that was Doug Armstrong that we heard coming back from break, talking about what the next, what the next moves are going to be, what they're likely to be for the Blues. He says we're trench I like the way that he states that with players that are in that kind of 25 to 28 year old range kind of the the early portions of their prime and of course the name that gets brought up a lot because of his age is Timo Meyer he is available he's a restricted free agent after this upcoming season his qualifying offer would be 10 million dollars because that's his salary this year but the expectation is he'll get something around the eight-year Eight and a half to nine million dollar range is what the uh likely contract would be for Timo Meyer Alex, when you think about trading for him, the possibility of that, what would you be willing to give up? Because it's not just, hey, we get Timo Meyer. This is all great. You got to give something up in return for the Sharks to be willing to give him to you. What would you be willing to trade? So I, I, I think it's easier for me to say what I wouldn't be willing to trade for Timo Meyer. And the way I look at it right now is I'm not trading away my 2023 draft pick first round. Unless it's some type of condition around it that it's protected for the top 10. Because right now your percentages are going to keep growing of potentially getting into the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. And even if it's beyond the Connor Bedard, let's say you get into the top three, top five. As much as I think Timo Meyer would help this team for next season, I also believe that if the Blues can select first, second, third, fourth, fifth overall, this draft is so top heavy that one of those top five picks could be on your team next season and having an impact. And we've seen this before where a player was selected fourth overall and that season he was having an impact on the team. That just comes down to being smart with your scouting and making sure you're uh, breaking down the prospect the correct route. So that would be the number one thing that if San Jose says, yeah, we want your one of your first round draft picks and the, the one has to be yours, fine, but there's some conditions on it. The other one that I would be very hesitant to move on from is Jimmy Snuggerud. From everything we've heard about this, he might be pushing for an NHL spot in two years. And if this is the progress that Doug Armstrong's looking at, well, then that might be one of those players you need to jump into that core of group of guys where it's Kairou Thomas and Timo Meyer. So with that being said, the, the first round picks that you've acquired via trade deadline and potentially what you get for Ivan Barbashev, free game. If I'm looking at like a Zachary Bolduke or maybe somebody else in my minor league system, free game. But the one that I'm going to hang up the phone on immediately, unless there's conditions around it, is my first round pick this upcoming draft. See, and I agree with your listener of the two things that are untouchable. I, I wouldn't even want to move that pick even if it had conditions on it because my fear is that with a condition it becomes unprotected. The following year, and I don't even with acquiring Timo Meyer. We talked about this kind of in the opening segment. I don't think this is a quick fix. Even if you get Meyer and you kind of change the decor on the fly next year, 
I think there's still a chance you're still one of the 10 worst teams in the NHL. And I don't want San Jose having that pick. So Mm -hmm. I think that pick completely is untouchable, in my opinion. (laughs) I wouldn't even worry about putting protection on it. It just would not be in the trade conversation. You can have the two first-round picks I've acquired. And to your point, I think anybody in the prospect pool is someone that I'd be willing to have discussions with, except for Jimmy Snuggerud. Everybody that we seem to talk to says that he put himself on the map at the World Juniors, and his numbers were impressive to where I think he's one of those untouchables. He's kind of... I'm going to say this, and I really hope he pans out. He's one of those that you're going to have to pry him from Doug Armstrong's cold, dead hand. What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Sorry, I figured I didn't bring it up. (laughs) I don't think you're getting Timo Meyer without including at least one of the Blues' first-round pick or Jimmy Snuggerud. I I think that that's where it starts. That's the first piece that you throw into the deal, and then the second piece is one of those other first-round picks. And so if you're not willing to include either of those two things, I think we should not be talking about uh, Timo Meyer because there are too many teams that are willing to include assets like that. Yeah, but even without one of those two assets, I still look at your deal might be better than what any of the other teams can offer. I'm sure it is. Late first-round picks I I don't think have the same quality as something that the Devils potentially could offer because of how sound and um, how big their system is right now. Apparently, according to... People that know about it that I, I I don't know a whole lot about the Devils minor league system. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but their prospect pool ha- has a ton of high level prospects. There's in it a right lot now. of guys are unwilling to move. Like this Alexander Holtz, maybe I, at I, least they're pushing back on I, it. I was just going to sure. mention San Jose, and you, you you again you know more on the San Jose than I do. Correct me if I'm wrong. They almost feel like in the spot that Oakland kind of was it when you're talking about the Sean Murphy trade sweepstakes, where it is more of. They're just taking more of quantity over quality right now. And when I say quantity, I say, hey, the more picks, the merrier. That way we can select the guys that we want and we'll just so take it. Let me give you this is from um, the Sharks beat writer because he, he would know more about this than any of us in this room. I, I would assume uh, he comes from the athletic. JR had a piece with him earlier today. It's a really good piece. Uh, He said there are two obvious places to begin here in terms of what San Jose would want. The Blues suddenly have three first-round picks in this year's draft. They also have two intriguing forwards in Bullduke and Snugrud. I think it's pretty simple at the macro level. LeBron has reported that the Sharks want three pieces for Timo Meyer, with two presumed to be a top prospect and a first-round pick. Here's how I think that the Sharks would value them in terms of what the Blues have to offer. The first would be the Blues overall, the first-round pick that they have. Number two, in terms of the asset that they would most be uh, interested in, Jimmy Snugrud. Number three would be the the two first-round picks that are the Rangers and the Maple Leafs. And then after that, Bull Duke would be the last one. He said that's not a slight against Bull Duke as much as it is a nod to the Sharks' timeline. Bull Duke still has two more years that are closer to free agency than any of these 2023 uh, first-round picks would be. He's essentially saying, uh, in the breakdown as we get a little further there, He thinks it would be one of the Blues first round pick or Jimmy Snugrud. And then the second piece of this trade would be first round pick and or Zachary Bolduc. That's the starting point. And then maybe you throw in another prospect in there or another pick in there as well. If that ends up being the case, I'm with you, Alex. If you're willing to trade your first round pick, it needs to be top 10 protected. And if it doesn't go to them this year, then you have to give up the 2024 first round pick likely unprotected. At that point in time, and you're hoping that this just becomes a team that can win next year. And so you're not super worried about losing out on that 2024 first round pick. I don't think I don't believe that you can get into the Timo Meyer conversations without including one of those two significant assets. And the reason why, man, everybody wants Timo Meyer. This dude's a stud. He's in his prime. 
He is a consistent 30-goal scorer. If the Blues are able to get a first-round pick for Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko, especially Tarasenko, who had a no-trade clause, yeah, Timo Meyer is going to get something of real significance here. Well, the difference on this, though, is a couple of things. One, Timo Meyer does kind of hold the cards in this trade, as much as San Jose likes to believe they have the leverage, because a team's not going to trade for Timo Meyer unless... Like I've I've heard the reports that Carolina could take him and give him the qualifying offer next year if he's not willing to sign an extension and then say we'll figure it out after that. Sure. If he's not willing to sign an extension, I don't know if the New Jersey Devils are going to give them. I don't know if the Blues make the trade for him if he's not willing to sign the extension. So Timo Meyer kind of holds the leverage there of saying like you could trade me there, but I'm not going to de- I'm not going to negotiate a contract extension with that team. That takes them off the board in that spot. Then do you get the point with the Blues? The other factor into this is how fast does Doug Armstrong pull the trigger with an Ivan Barbashev trade? Because we're talking two late first-round picks that aren't sexy for them if the Blues aren't willing to give up theirs or Snuggerud. But do three first-round picks become sexy enough for the San Jose Sharks and a Zachary Bolt? Like, that's the, that's the, the puzzle pieces that you're trying to figure sure. out right now. Here's the thing, though. If that's what they demand, I want no conditions on that first-round pick. Or but That's not what I said. I said top 10 protected. But, Which is a but significant San, piece. But if San Jose says, no, not doing it, then I'm moving away. Then I'm, I'm moving on because there will be other players available. Uh, if you don't know, go check out my Ferrari 05 earlier in the week because I named them. Uh, Elliot Friedman must listen because he mentioned Alex DeBrinkin in his 32 thoughts written. By the way, piece. not interested. Not interested. That's not a piece that I would be looking for. The dude that just scored 40 goals last season? Yeah, you guys want another... We already talk about Jordan Cairo. You want to talk about Jordan Cairo? take at least two? This, at least this guy plays defense. Does he... Better than Kyber. I'm not sure that he does. So I, I'm out on Alex DeBrink. There will I, be other guys available. Five eight, a buck seventy eight. You think that that's going to change this complexion of the top six? No, sir. No, sir. Have you seen mm-hmm. the the, the uh, height and size of Connor Bedard? Yeah, okay. I've also seen oh, that well, he's, he's going to no, be Alex a better <laughs> player. Yeah. He's five nine, like hundred and seventy five pounds. And so he's could, five times better could than be a hundred point producer. Yeah, no. I'm, what are you guys talking about? DeBrinket's had multiple forty goal seasons. Yeah, and his got, top, okay. his top this, point season was seventy eight. <laughs> I don't think that's the same thing as, as what Connor Timo Bedard. Meyer. Timo Meyer's had seventy six. Timo Meyer is a very different player. Timo Meyer leads his team in hits this season. Oh, geez, now we're going to the hit category on yeah. this. Do you want Isn't a bigger, stronger, better no. version of Ivan Barbashev? Because that's essentially what Timo Meyer is. No, I want somebody who has an offensive superstar quality and. DeBrinket's one of those guys, too. But take his name out of the conversation. I'm moving on from Timo Meyer because there will be a team that has an asset that fits the um, fits the qualifications that Doug Armstrong is looking for that might be more interested in two or three first-round late picks compared to if San Jose is not ready to do that. Can I add one follow-up to this real quick? Is this top six good enough? Timo Meyer, Robert Thomas, Jordan Kyrou. That line would cost you if we're expecting a $9 million extension for per year. For Timo Meyer, $25 million. Saad, Shin, Buchnevich, that line would cost you roughly $16.5 million. That top six is going to cost you about $44 million of your 84-ish million dollar cap next year. Is that top six good enough? Because it would also require, in this scenario, you to trade at least one of your top four defensemen and replace him with somebody that is super cheap. Can you win with that? Like, And I don't mean just get to the playoffs. Can you win something of significance because you're locking yourself into that top six? If you ask me that at the beginning of the season before I saw this team play, I'd say absolutely. Um, watching this team play, I don't think so. 
because $44 million in a top six, um, eerily comparable to what Toronto Maple Leafs have in their top six. And I'll take Toronto's top six over that with Timo Meyer any day of the week because, uh, I mean, let's be real here, they have that superstar quality on offense. And maybe Timo Meyer provides that, but uh, there are certain players that have to take their game to the next level. If I'm going to spend that amount of assets on a top six and my defense suffer from it, they got to show me that they can actually win games because of offense. Yeah, I, I'm not sure you could win with that top six, and that's why if it does come down to you know, it has to be the Blues' first-round picker snugs for that to go and acquire Timo Meyer. I would say then we're out of the conversation because I, I don't think you can trade that pick, and even if it has protection, because I, I think you'd be giving up on a potential top 10, top 15 pick in the first round next year if you're the St. Louis Blues. And if you don't end up winning, which I, I think is I, – I don't think they would with that top six, then I, I think it's just a miscalculation from the St. Louis Blues in the trade market of doing that. So I, I would not personally – bank on that top six if you made that trade, being able to outweigh what you're giving up potentially in that first-round pick for 2024. I would be highly skeptical. And it goes back to what you said in the first segment today, Alex. It's less about the wingers, because I feel pretty good about those wingers. Meyer, Kairou, Booch, and Saad, I think is about as good as you'll find around the NHL. I mean, it's pretty damn good. Thomas and Shen as a top two centers... I don't know that you have a number one center in that duo. And that's what's concerning to me once you get to the postseason. We've seen how important it is for teams to be able to have that number one center. Blues didn't do a lot of winning in the postseason until they got Ryan O'Reilly. He's the guy that changed things for you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that player down the middle, I don't think that you're going to be able to be doing the winning that we would want them to with $45 million tied up into that top six. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I would probably do it, but it is super risky because you, you potentially lock yourself into mediocrity for the next three years the scary or so. part about that is that's your top two centers, like it or not, moving forward. Yeah. I mean, and the only way you're going to get the best out of them is if you get the best wingers, and maybe that is Timo Meyer. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, is Major League Soccer paving the way for the future of how we will watch the Cardinals and St. Louis Blues here in St. Louis? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. More likely to happen, 314-399-9646. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. Let's start with this from the three one four. Alex, more likely. Colton Pareko gets traded or we land Jacob Chikrin at the trade deadline. Why not both? Why not both? Uh, This might surprise a lot of you, but uh, I'm actually going to say it's probably Colton Pareko. Part of me wonders if Jacob Chikrin just doesn't get moved still. And that is just the, the worst managing job ever. If you're Bill Armstrong and I love Bill Armstrong, but you have an asset like that where you're asking for the world. And even if somebody's going to give you a little less than that, you're still getting a hell of a lot for a team that's not going to be good anytime soon. So I would take what I can get for Jacob Chikrin because 
man, I mean, you wait until next year to trade him. He only got two years left before he's a UFA. And that's the thing just keeps um, dropping and dropping. And the other factor into this is if you keep Jake, Jacob Chikrin has not played since February 10th. If you hold him out until March 3rd and he does not play a game, a team that's acquiring Jacob Chikrin's got to be like, all right, well, we got to get him back up to speed now because he hasn't played in three weeks. So I'm going to say it's Colton Pareko. The weird thing about this entire Jacob Chikrin situation is that, and and I get holding out for what you think is the right return. There's an expiration date on this, though. We've Mm -hmm. seen this with the Oakland Athletics where they wait and wait and wait, and then it becomes too late, and now they get less than what they could have had previously, where you say no to a good deal and end up with a bad deal, honestly. Look at Sean Murphy, for example. Part of what the value is in Jacob Chikrin is the contract. Like, you looked at it two years ago and certainly last year, and you're like, man, we got four years left, three years left of $4.6 million for a... 24 25 year old defenseman that's in the prime of his career right now that is a glorious thing to be able to point to on your cap sheet this offseason you've only got two years left of that cap hit and then suddenly he's going to be asking for seven plus million dollars because he'll probably come up right around the time when the cap starts to explode again in the nhl i i do think that they are going to start tearing down the value they're going to devalue the asset um, if they don't trade him by the deadline, I do think it's more likely, though, that Pareko gets traded. I don't think that the Blues are going to end up with Chikrin at the deadline. I, I agree with you there. I, I do think Chikrin will get dealt this trade deadline. I, I think that will be so that because I think Arizona will realize, hey, we can't devalue him any further. I, I do think, though, he won't be in St. Louis. So I think it is more likely that it will be Colton Pareko that would be dealt at the deadline. And I'm skeptical of that. But I, I think in this scenario, it would be that one over Chickering. All right, this one comes from the 314. Guys, more likely that Lars Newtbar ends up as the Cardinals outfielder this season or a top 10 MVP candidate. Can I start on this? No. It's more likely that he becomes the Cardinals' fourth outfielder. Like, I don't think that that's going to happen. But to be a top 10 MVP candidate, I mean, you have to be a legit star. And that would be an unlikely scenario for Newt. The reason that we even bring it up is because it is in his range of outcomes. Like, I don't think there is any scenario this season in which Brendan Donovan is a top 10 MVP candidate. I think Brendan Donovan's a really good baseball player. Dylan Carlson, really good baseball player, potentially. I don't think he has top 10 MVP candidate in his range of outcomes. I do think Newt has that because of the way that he hits the ball really hard because of his on-base percentage, because of his speed, because of his defense. I think he can do all of those things for you, but I do think it's more likely that he becomes a fourth outfielder. Um, Same spot. I mean, that is a tough ask to be a top 10 MVP. Uh, You got to put up Paul Goldschmidt type numbers and just don't see that with Lars Newt bar as well as I think he's going to do this season. I'm more likely to see him as a fourth outfielder than an MVP. Yeah, I think he's more likely fourth outfielder. I mean, I just looked because I was curious where O'Neill finished finished eighth in MVP voting. Newport would essentially have to put up 280 batting average, 350 on base, 560 slug, and hit like 25 to 30 home yep. runs. Could he do it? Maybe if everything goes right, maybe that's his 80th, 90th percentile outcome. I just would be skeptical if he's going to end up be, being able to do that. And he's hitting at the top of the order, so he's not going to drive in the runs as much, which is kind of the big sexy thing when you're looking at MVP voting. So I, I would definitely say more likely fourth outfielder. All right, more likely to happen. The Battlehawks start the season 2-0 and with another victory. Or City SC wins this weekend. Your Battlehawk get hit by a semi-truck? Yeah, wasn't that impressive? No, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
Sorry. Uh, I guess maybe I don't think they're going to go 2-0. Oh, well, that seems about right with you. Um, boy, I, I don't, as we talked about earlier, I, I don't know much about their the uh, City SC's opponent this weekend. But I also saw AJ McCarron uh, in that first week for the Battle Hawks, and eh, not too pretty. Yeah, because I've saw the highlights of the Battle Hawks. <laughs> I think I'm going to go SC. I'm going more likely SC. <laughs> I think I will too. I, I truly don't know what to expect for the city, as we've already talked about. I, I just don't know what they're going to look like until right. I see them play. I can see where they're just dominated, but they somehow find a way to score one goal and they win one nothing. So I would say more likely mm-hmm. City gets a win this weekend by the experts. They think Austin is considered to be like a top eight team in MLS That's this year. It's always a good start for your hey, expansion team. Let, let me put it this way. It only takes one goal to win. How? how or no goals to tie. First, for those that got mad at us earlier, how unknown are or is City SC? There is not a line in Vegas on this game. I, was like, I couldn't find one when I looked There's earlier this week. It doesn't exist. I, I believe sense. it to Makes be sense. the only game this weekend that does not have a Vegas line on it because they don't know. When Vegas doesn't know what to expect out of you and isn't even willing to put out a line, when they've got like prop bets on a lot of these games, that that tells you everything you need to know. I do think it is more likely that the Battlehawks start the season two and zero. Maybe they were able to find something. They they got something at the end of that game, which yeah, they got something. Clicked. Maybe that ends up working out for them. Their defense was okay most of that game, so um, I'll say it's more likely that the Battlehawks start the season two and zero. Speaking of soccer. MLS has a very interesting TV deal. It is completely abnormal to all of us as sports fans. You're going to have to pay for the right to watch your local team. It will not be available locally without paying for a subscription. And I'm not talking about like, hey, I've already got Netflix. I can turn on the game. Hey, I've got Amazon Prime. I can turn on the game. No, you will have to pay for Apple TV and then pay for the MLS season pass. How's that going to go over locally? And is it the future for the Cardinals and the Blues as well? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. doing something interesting with a way to watch their games this season if you're expecting on saturday to just be able to turn on your cable package go to you know bally sports midwest espn whatever and watch city it's not gonna happen you can't that is not how their package works alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario here on 101 espn alex i think what they're doing is super interesting and it very well may be the future of local sports broadcasting deals it's also in my opinion, very risky. So to set this up, here's basically the way that it works. You are going to have to pay for what they call MLS season pass. This is a new package for MLS. So even if you were previously an MLS fan, uh, this has not been what it's been in the past. They've had some stuff on ESPN, all these different things, and they have local rights as well. But you could find on your local television deal You could find your team that you were watching. Like in KC, when I lived there, I could watch Sporting Kansas City on their version of Bally Sports. That was possible. They would have some national games that would be on ESPN, but locally, they'd be broadcasted the way that the Blues and the Cardinals are here. Now, they have moved everything to Apple TV. Now, my first impression was, okay, I have Apple TV. I can, just as I watch like... 
um, show called Your Honor or Ted Lasso on Apple TV, I could just flip on Apple TV and I'm ready to go. I just stream it the way that I do everything else. No, that is not the case. Even if you already have your subscription to Apple TV, you will then pay $12.99 a month for the right to watch MLS. Now, the cool thing is, if you're a soccer fan, you get all kinds of content with that. It's every soccer game that is put on through MLS this season. You can watch every single one of them, no blackout restrictions. You also get some other cool, like, highlights, old games. A, a bunch of stuff apparently is on there. I haven't checked out the actual content yet, but I do have the subscription, and people that have seen it that are soccer fans seem to believe that it is worth the money. Alex, what I'm curious about, though, is not so much for the soccer fan that was always willing to watch and, and pay whatever it would take to be able to watch their team. I do wonder for like your casual fan here in St. Louis, for example, my mother and father-in-law that live here that are like fans, I guess, of the local teams would definitely be watching a city if it was on Bally Sports Midwest. Turn on the TV, ready to go. It's part of their cable package. They would definitely watch. I don't know that they will be paying $12.99 a month for the right to watch the local team that they've always expected to be a part of their cable package. How do you think this is going to go with people locally, especially here in St. Louis, as you've got an expansion team that teams are trying to become interested in? And if it doesn't go well for them this year, which Vegas does not think it will, but let's let's operate under this assumption. Let's say year one is a, a building year, right? How do you think it's going to go with paying for the right to watch your local team on top of whatever it is that you pay for your cable package. So I was texting with my brother-in-law yesterday who is a big sports fan. And I mean, he is in this category of like, if it's on television, he's watching it. But he also, when I texted him and told him that like, yeah, you got to pay a subscription for it. He's like, are you kidding me? I should add one other thing. I misspoke a bit on Saturday. The game is actually free. I think the first two games are technically free for the team. After that, all of the rest of the games are not. Sorry. My brother's response or my brother-in-law's response was, well, thank God I got T-Mobile because I guess T-Mobile users have the ability to watch this without having to worry about paying because it's involved with their package or whatever. Yesterday. That was only a deal yesterday. So, well, good thing. I hope he signed up for that if you're listening. <laughs> but regardless, I, I don't think it, it's going to go over well for the common fan. The diehard soccer St. Louis City SC, they're paying the subscription for it like any of us would be for something. Like my wife, she can't live without Disney Plus, so we're, we got Disney Plus. But the common person isn't going to justify twelve ninety nine a month to have it so that they can watch their team play. Um, I, I kind of look at this as how many people complained about the Bally Sports Midwest app where you had to pay for that when they weren't carrying the games or all of the local uh, cable providers dropped Bally sports and people were complaining about having to pay the money for this app to watch it. And then when the issues popped up with that app and they couldn't watch it or the streaming stopped and then they would get even more ticked off. So combined that with a expansion team that might have their struggles, 1299 a month to watch this where you're only justifying watching your team, unless the diehards are out there that are watching all of them, but they don't fall in this category. I, I don't think it goes over very well in the first season because that's a lot of money to ask for people to commit if they're not utilizing it enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know how well this is going to go. I, I, I think you're going to have your diehards that buy in and they were going to do that no matter what. I, I just don't know about 
the local kind of on-the-fence fan or the casual fan that if they're going to want to be willing to buy in. Maybe they do their the first year because it's new and they want to see it and they want to get the experience and try to get back get into soccer, get back into soccer. But regional sports, I think, will struggle with this kind of concept of having you change the philosophy of now paying to get to see your regional team without those blackouts. So I, I don't think sports like soccer, I don't know if it's going to go well, especially a sport that's still trying to grow here in the U.S. I know a right. lot of people would say, what do you mean grow? They've expanded to, I think St. Louis is the 29th team in the MLS. It's just not at the same level. It's at over in, Euro- in Europe. So I, I think they're going to struggle with this format. I, I think only your national sports here in the States can do that in terms of the NBA and the NFL. I think they could get away with this kind of this version of what the MLS is doing. I think sports like the MLS, I think they're going to struggle with this. And if this is the way that baseball and the NHL go with Bally Sports being on the fringe of bankruptcy, then I I think that they're going to struggle with this as well. I don't think people will be willing to buy into this, especially if you've got a team struggling in your local area. Do you really want to pay to watch them? Probably not. If it's in your cable bill and you're already paying for that, okay, maybe you're okay with that and you end up watching it. But I don't think you want to add on to that on top of your cable bill to go and watch a team that could be struggling in their first year. We got this from the 618. This comes from Andrew. He says, I think most people watch the free games. There are about six on the year. I think it's actually about four or five um, because there's three games that are on Fox or FS1 and then two that are going to be streamed for free on Apple TV. Uh, But he also adds, and then if they enjoy the content, they'll start paying as they get further along in the season. Totally possible. Totally possible. There there might be fans that watch on Saturday and like what they see. They say, you know what? I'm going to follow this team throughout the season. Sign up, pay the $12.99, whatever it is. And they decide this is the best expense for me. It's worth it for me. I, I enjoy the content. It's worth it for me to be able to watch my team. And maybe they end up becoming soccer fans and they just watch not only City, but also other teams around the league. Totally possible. I think there will be a lot of fans that watch on Saturday and say to themselves, that was really cool. And then they watch again the following Saturday and they try to log into Apple TV and realize that it's not free. And they say, wait, I can't watch this for free. What do you mean? I'm already paying for Apple TV. Shouldn't I already get this as a part of my subscription? And I I think that's going to be the thing that's very hard for for this league potentially to overcome to expand their audience. Now, I'd also add this. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe MLS says... There's a cap in what we're going to be able to get in terms of our audience for our league. We are not the EPL. We are not ever going to be the EPL. We're not trying to compete with them. We have a very committed fan base that is going to watch our games. They are willing to pay for our games. And we are trying to monetize that the best way possible. And for MLS, they've probably done countless hours of research into this. They have deemed that this is the best way to be able to monetize their local TV rights. So it might end up working out for them exactly as expected. I am very curious to watch this because if you're a Cardinals or a Blues fan, given what's going on right now with Bally Sports, I think it is entirely possible that they will also be watching this saying to themselves, maybe that's the future for us. And that's where I think it gets really interesting because Cardinals fans have a the Cardinals rather have a different audience than MLS. MLS's target audience is like our age. The the three of us in this room, we are MLS target demo. Somewhere between like 20 and 40. That's what they're looking for. And for our generation, streaming is the norm. It's no biggie. I'm sure Alex, I don't know how many streaming services you have. 
I think I've got a dozen of them at home. I've got yeah. Apple TV. I've got Amazon Prime. I've got Netflix. I've got Spotify. Like, I've got all of those different things. It's just a part of my life that I've come up with. Tanner, I'm sure it's the same way for you. For my dad? He's not that way. No, my dad still has basic cable. <laughs> my dad has his cable package. Yep. He's got Netflix, and he is good. That my dad is still it. texts me every day and says, what channel is the game on? And I'm like, Dad, it's not even on a channel anymore. Some of these games that are on ESPN+, Plus, my dad's like, what the bleep? What? He, he'll turn on the Chiefs game. He's like, hey, it's Thursday night. Why can't I turn it on it's on Amazon NFL Network? My dad, the same thing. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, it's on, it's on Amazon Prime. Well, how do I get Amazon? Are you able to get it on the internet? Exactly. And so I do think there will be a segment, like especially if it's baseball that does this with Cardinals where there will be a segment of their audience that pushes back against it. Look how many people got upset when it went to the Bally Sports app. Like people were ticked off that you couldn't watch it because Charter dropped it. And it's like, well, how do I watch it? Oh, well, you got to download the app and you got to pay the subscription. Well, my damn app lags. I can't watch the game. Mm -hmm. Like imagine that because we all go through it with this and somebody texted in and it's funny, but I also think it's a little bit of a reality there. Somebody said, if that happens with the Cardinals and Blues, I guess I'm going to be a a book reader again. And I laugh, but on the flip side of that, there are a lot of people out there that I could see sit there and say, I'm not going to pay that. Just I'll figure out what happens. And and some people will probably say, guys, this is going to end up being a better deal for you. And for some people, it will than paying cable. Because cable's expensive. I don't know what you guys are paying, but my I cable bill cable. is like <laughs> 160 bucks a month for cable plus internet at my house. Yep. It's insane. Like, it's just a, a crazy expensive thing to be able to have. But a lot of people view it as, okay, I'm not just paying for the right to see my team. I'm also paying for uh, the right to watch Disney Channel for my kid and Nickelodeon. Or I like watching TNT. So I've got like... On one night, I've got NBA on TNT. On another night, I've got NBA on ESPN. During the college football season, I've got all the stuff that I need on ESPN. During like People like having that availability of, I've got all of this. It's there for me. I'm good to go. And when you no longer have that, and instead, I'm paying for my cable package, and then also I'm paying for the Cardinals and the Blues, and also I'm paying for City, there comes a threshold where people say, enough is enough. Yeah. I'm not paying anymore. I've got to cut some of this out of my life. The people that say I can't afford it because I I know people that just can't afford that in their monthly bills to pay $12.99. And I know that seems like very little if you're excited about it. But if a common fan is just like, man, I'd like to watch it. I don't have $12.99 to watch it. Now what? And so maybe it becomes, okay, I'm going to pay for YouTube TV. That's one thing that I'm paying for. I'm going to pay for City. All right, that's $12.99. I'm going to pay for uh, the Blues. That's $12.99. I'm going to pay for the Cardinals. That's $12.99. I've got internet still because I've got to be able to have internet for all of these different things. Wait, now I'm paying more than I used to pay for cable, and I haven't even really, I don't have the same access that I used to have with cable to all of the different teams. I've got to have ESPN Plus as well to be able to watch some of these games. Like, whew, it just becomes a lot. It's overwhelming. I think that's the bigger thing. It's really overwhelming. And I think that the product might be great. I think that what we see with MLS might be fans say to themselves, I really like the fact that I know where the game is every time. I don't have to go to... One night it's on Fox, one night it's on Bally, one night it's on ESPN, the next night it's on ESPN+. Plus. I don't have to worry about any of that. It's a stress-free environment of, I know it's at this time and it's on this streaming service, and I've got it ready to go. That's possible. But man, this is going to be a, a really interesting path to see what it where it takes MLS 
and to see what it means for our other local teams here in St. Louis. Someone, They're watching, I promise you that. Somebody texted in and said, family time around, family time around the radio is going to make its comeback. It might. For, Man, for a T-ball, lot of that's got to be a dream come true for you. Oh, my. Are you kidding me? That's Everybody's great. sitting around listening Fireside to the old ball. Chats you the, well, you got the grill going, I imagine, cigar. I imagine Woo. Tanner and his, and his family all sitting around a radio wearing a suit and tie. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But, but they're like... And his mom's in a rocking chair. We're classy like They're that. charcoal wool suits. Yes. And his dad's got one of those, like, furry sweater vests over his suit. He's got the, what? what is the hat called? Um, is it the taxi driver? No, the taxi driver the hat. The one that, uh, what's his name? Uh, former C- Cardinals and Bucks coach. Uh, why am I drawing Arians? a blank? Arians. Oh, the, Bruce Arians. Yeah, the, uh, the taxi driver cab. Yeah, the cab I can't hat. remember what it's called. I don't know though. what it's called either. I like also, like, I think. Fed- Fedora? No, not a fedora. No, no fedora is what um, Jason Mraz wears. Kangle cap. Kangle, the Kangle cap. That's, that's, that's what he's got on. Be able to guess I would that. have never guessed that's what that's called. Coming up in 10 minutes, what does it tell us about the Blues? If all of these guys that they trade end up going on to have success elsewhere after they have left St. Louis. We'll talk about that coming up in about 10 minutes. The Junk Drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? Guys, have you ever wanted to learn how to fly a plane? Like as a bird? Oh, a pl- no. Oh, no. God, no. No. Not like a big plane, but just a small no. little one that you could no. take mm-hmm. wherever? I, nope. I hate flying, so no, I, I, I would have prefer wanted not. to have enough money to get a private jet. That seems awesome. I've been watching uh, the new Netflix documentary on, have. on the PGA, which is oh tremendous. My God. I, I started that and I had to binge all eight episodes. Dude, it is so good. It's it is impossible. so much better than I thought it was going oh, to be. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of Drive to Survive, which makes sense. It's made by the same right. people who, who made that. I can't wait for the Masters solely because of that documentary. Dude, it's crazy. It gets you really interested. Yeah. Anyways, um, the reason I bring that up is because all of them have private jets. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me very much want a private jet. I looked into doing one of those I for my buddy's bachelur party. You know how much money a it is? A private just to, jet? Just Well, yeah, like a private jet. You can rent them to right. like take You're a trip. You're invited to my Party. Yeah, believe what? me, we didn't do it. We oh, did uh, a commercial. You know how much money it is just to get somewhere to rent a private jet? Yeah, an absurd amount. It's like 40K. Yeah, you thought that was going to be uh, real. We all thought we were like, hey, how much money, money, money would it be? And we looked we're like, oh, yeah, we're not doing that. But there, I so, can't believe you actually looked into that. That's amazing. We were like, we could throw money together. We just thought it might be like, you know, like five or six thousand dollars. And it's not. He, he laughs. Was it his bachelor party or no? No. Oh, okay. Just just checking. Uh, but I the, wouldn't be planning his bachelor party. The reason I asked me? if you guys wanted to learn to fly is because there was a guy in England who wanted to learn to fly. Now, he's had a couple lessons, so it wasn't like it was his first time. Because if it was his first time, the story would have been even more wild. And he gets up. They get off the ground, and they're flying. And he looks over to his right, and he thinks his instructor's just playing a joke on him and is sleeping in the passenger side. Oh, God, he's dead. And, uh, you know, he thinks that. And then when they land, he gets the landing smoothly. And I guess when he went to, like, turn the plane around, the instructor kind of, like, put his head on his shoulder, and he thought, oh, he's still kidding, faking asleep. And uh, his instructor uh, died in the plane with him. Uh, So 
I would I would love to learn to fly. I not anymore. Because I would need an instructor to help me out because I'm one of those that you have to hold my hand for a while to learn something. And if my uh, my instructor passed away uh, what, next to me, I, I would be doomed. I seriously would be doomed. Well, yeah, um, I think all of us would. It, well, that, maybe not, this it, is it a very would be plus my first story. time. He landed safely, which <laughs> I, I'm impressed this got, by. This got dark real quick, man. Yeah, I... This went in a different direction. This one is Jesus. gonna brighten up the mood you, a little what bit. What did you think was, was gonna be an exciting story? Yeah. Uh, speaking you asked of this, me, do I well, want to fly? He landed. He landed safely. Speaking of this, the reason I hate planes is because you, all of the movies you watch about plane problems, snake snakes on a plane, snakes on a plane scared the bejesus out of me. Final Destination kind of sure. ruined my life. I watched the most recent one with Gerard Butler and Plane. Again, don't want to go on a flight ever again. That makes sense. I, I hate them. Con Air. Con Air was phenomenal. Nicolas Cage with that long All-time hair. All-time great bad movie. Have you ever seen Con Air, Tanner? Mm-hmm. You yeah. should watch Con Air. Con yeah. Air is a good movie. Nicolas Cage. Yes. Nicolas Cage, but he's yeah. got long hair. It was hair. in his prime of like, yeah. these are all really good bad movies. Yeah, he's so I would good. consider them to be like good dad movies. His, his, I love Con Air. His prime did not last long. What are you talking about, Nicolas man? Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Not a great actor. He was well, no, nobody's saying about? that he's a great actor. I but am. Like, National Treasure? Face Off. Con Air. Gone in 60 Seconds. Gone terrible. in 60 Seconds was a phenomenal film. It's a tremendous movie. Yeah, he was good. Tanner, have you ever seen any of He's these? He's the Nickelback of actors. I've seen National <laughs> Treasure. <laughs> I, think, like I think people just hate Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is good. I think the only ones just from that list, and I don't even know if you said National Treasure. National Treasure is the no, only I thing I know him from. Really? I know. Go- I have seen Ghost Rider. Ghost I did not Rider like Ghost good. Rider. Face Off, Con Air, The Rock, and Gone in oh, 60 Seconds would probably be my... Oh. Nicholas Cage, Mount The Rushmore. Rock with uh, Sean Connery. Oh, what a great film. Good movies. No, Good haven't movies. seen them. Come All on, right. man. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, will ask him what his favorite Nicholas Cage movie is coming up at 1.30. <laughs> oh, but coming up next, what does it tell us about the blues if Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko and maybe Colton Pareko and Ivan Barbashev end up going on elsewhere to have more success than they had here this season? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For Marner, closing back in front of Raleigh, scores! Up for Marner, back for Raleigh, loose in front of backhand, shot, scores! So Raleigh for the hatchet. Ryan O'Reilly, yes! Here come the hats in Buffalo! Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Oh, boy. You just had to do it, didn't you? Rough night last night. If you're somebody that was hoping that Ryan O'Reilly would go up to Toronto and just fall on his face. Well, I don't know would, why anybody well, would, want, would that. want that. Alex, I am curious how St. Louis fans are going to be watching the rest of this season. Because we know this team, the Blues, are, are not doing anything meaningful. They're, they're hoping to get that number one overall pick. Damn right. But you do have a lot of players that were either homegrown or are guys that were like staples of a Stanley Cup winner here in St. Louis that are now playing elsewhere. So you've got Ryan O'Reilly in Toronto. You've got Vladimir Tarasenko in New York. You've got David Perron and Sonny in half of your the rest of your team up in Detroit right now. Barbashev is likely to be dealt. Maybe you end up seeing Colton Pareko dealt as well. 
do you think that fans are going to be rooting for those players elsewhere? How, how do you think they are watching the success or lack thereof for those players the rest of the season? Ryan O'Reilly, I feel like a lot of Blues fans are going to be rooting for him no matter what, just because of how great of an individual he was. He was the captain in St. Louis. Maybe there's a group of fans that are hoping he returns to St. Louis, and in that process, you got to hope that Toronto loses. But people are going to root for Ryan O'Reilly no matter what. Vladimir Tarasenko, I would imagine people are rooting for him, but I'm sure there's a sour taste in a lot of individuals' mouths of him having success there where he didn't have the best season this year with the Blues and thinking, oh, well, he just won it out of St. Louis. I don't know on that sense of things. Ivan Barbashev, wherever he goes, I would imagine people are going to root for him. And Colton Pareko, if he gets traded, Tori Krug, if he gets traded, that one's probably going to be a little bit of, oh, great, you go somewhere else and play better. Overall, Blues fans, and I'm speaking of this from a personal side of it, it always stings when you watch that player go on and have success elsewhere because you're like, damn, why couldn't you have just done it here in St. Louis? But on the flip side of that, I always at least said to myself, probably was never going to get to that point in St. Louis anyway because of how bad the season has gone. So you enjoy the success, specifically Ryan O'Reilly, who you just felt like it was getting to the frustration boiling point for him in St. Louis that you couldn't figure it out. But yeah, there's going to be a little bit of good and bad blood, I would imagine, throughout the postseason with former Blues, depending on where they're playing. Honestly, I, I think it's mostly going to be good blood, and I, I think part of the reason for that is just because I think Blues fans... good blood. Yeah, we do. I, I think I think it's going to be one of those where Blues... I've heard that phrase before. Blues fan, well, he said bad blood, so I, I decided I'd add it to good. <laughs> I, I would imagine all blood is good blood if you need it, right? Yeah, exactly. See, so I, I think a lot of Blues fans, because it's been a decent, a pretty big chunk of the last uh, decade of winning hockey for the Blue, uh, for Blues fans, that it's going to be a weird feeling not seeing playoff hockey. And most of the guys that you're sending out are going to be playing in the playoffs. I think there's going to be a lot of fans rooting for a lot of these guys. I think they're even going to be rooting for Vladdy, see him have success, see Ryan O'Reilly have success in Toronto, see uh, wherever Ivan Barbershev ends up. Let's just say it's Carolina, for example. Teams, I think fans will be rooting for the players, maybe not so much the team, because I'll be honest, I want to see Toronto bounce in the first round because that pick's higher. I was higher. just going to say that. Somebody texted and said, I'll root for the X-Blues unless we've got one of their draft picks, and that hope, I, I hope they get bounced because it's a better pick for them. But I think it, you're hoping people... the player still plays well. I think you're hoping yeah. to see Ryan O'Reilly play well, But you yeah, Toronto, see Toronto still lose. lose in the first round. Yeah. I, I think it's not so much bad blood against the player. I think it's more bad blood against their team, mostly because you just want to see where that pick ends up going. Interesting. I, I think that's probably fair. Um I think O'Reilly is the rare case where, like, last night I was so excited to see him get that hat trick, dude. I was too, but, man, it hurt a little bit. It hurt my heart a little bit. <laughs> I think what hurts is that he he couldn't have that here. Like, for this season, whatever reason, whatever the case is, why, I, there's a million different explanations, but it just wasn't going to happen for him here in St. Louis. And I do wonder how that plays into some of these conversations as well. It's like, man, what does it say about the Blues if O'Reilly continues to have this kind of success, not a hat trick every night, but real goal scoring success, real team success, real line success up there in Toronto. What does it say if Vladimir Tarasenko ends up having some success with the Rangers? Like I, that is something that maybe today is not that day, but eventually down the road, we're going to have to have a real talk about, man, something went wrong here. And Doug Armstrong's job is now to find out what that was, why it happens, and how to make sure that it does not happen again in the future. Because things went real wrong real fast with this version of the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, I I can understand that sentiment. And sometimes you look at it and you say, maybe it was just the spot. Like Vladimir Tarasenko, 
You wonder why it didn't work this season because it was working for him last season. Losing was a part of it. Ryan O'Reilly, you can kind of equate that to the David Perron side of things where he just didn't have line mates. It's no coincidence that Ryan O'Reilly scores a hat trick playing on a line with Mitch Marner who has five assists in that game. It's a hell of a player to be playing with that he just jumps right in. And the Ivan Barbashev, you don't know if that happens. Maybe the UFA status really kind of uh, put a mystery in his head. But I do see a connection there that all of these guys go on and have success elsewhere does tell me that what Doug Armstrong said earlier in the season and Craig Berube said earlier in the season when they were going through their problems, that there there seems to be a problem with the culture right now around this team, that plays into it. But how can that be if Ryan O'Reilly is your captain and that culture took a swat? So that's the that's the up and down kind of measurements that you look at this team with. But I mean, there is something to it that if you put a player who's struggling on one team on a good roster that has the culture in place and they have success, maybe there's some issues with the, with the team he was traded away from from the six, three, six guys watching Ryan O'Reilly last night. was like, we're watching the X that you still kind of love hook up with another dude. Ew. And you just have to admit to yourself. Yeah. She's winning this breakup. Why are you watching her hook up? You never know. Could be anything, you know, you went to the movies, I, 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 hiding I in the closet. That, you you went to the movies and you saw she was making out with in the movie. Oh, dude, this is personal. The, uh, <laughs> the homecoming king who starts a quarterback for the high school team and goes on to is this your life or are you reciting an episode Alabama. of Laguna Beach? That'd be a tough wait, life did, if that was somebody's wait, life. Was Coming up in about 15 minutes or <laughs> so. Jalen Hurts? Yeah, well. It's a Super Bowl X. Uh, yeah, you did lose up. that breakup, buddy. Yeah, you lost that, man. I think no I was so excited when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl this year. That's Curse fair. Kerber, voice of the Blues Very in about 15 fair. minutes. But coming up next, speaking of quarterbacks around the league, is this guy a future first ballot Hall of Famer? Apparently the, the Jets think so. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. And let's start with the New York Jets. Oh, Alex, the Jets think that they are going to get a first ballot Hall of Famer to play quarterback for them next year. Wow. Rodgers? Impressive. Lamar Jackson? And they don't think it's going to be one of those two players. Here's Diana Rossini well, of ESPN. Hey, Derek, come here. Be a Jet. You're going to win with us. Ooh. And you're going to be a First ballot Hall of Famer. Like, that, that is how confident they have in this roster in New York. And they think that Derek Hart can be that good of a fit and, and, and really bring them a championship to New York. To, look, I love Diana Rossini. But don't you have to have some, like, insanely good uh, individual numbers if you're going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer? time Pro Bowler. Yep. Guy that won a skills competition this year oh, yeah. in Las Vegas during in, the Pro Bowl. He did he good hot. in the dodgeball competition. Mm-hmm. I when mean, he started one game in the playoffs in his NFL career. He attempted 54 passes. Gosh darn it. Went for 300 yards. Now he lost that game. I mean, we're talking about a quarterback but, who had Devontae Adams on his team. That's right. And now he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer in New York because of the roster they've got in place. You've seen those receivers? Yeah, and yeah. it's awful. Oh, I like the receiving more. Yeah, I like it too. 
maybe not with the car, but here's the thing. Do you need a soundbite? Because I think this is the perfect soundbite for this segment. What the f***? Uh, I was hoping it was Brad Underwood. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good, too. I actually think Derek Carr is a perfectly solid quarterback. He's like having a a Bud Light on a warm Saturday afternoon. Make it to Seltzer and I'm in. Is it my go-to? No. Is it but warm? I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to be mad about having a Bud Light on a Saturday yeah, afternoon. What was warm, the afternoon or the beer? Could be either. Well, that's fine. disgusting. <laughs> if you think that he's magically going to turn into Pappy Van Winkle once he gets to you. Hold on. Googling Pappy Van it's Winkle. It's a very expensive whiskey. It's not going to go well. So I you know who Rip Van Winkle is. Yeah. Pappy's. I, I don't think that this is going to go well for the Jets if that's what they're expecting. No. I do think that he would be a perfectly fine addition for them, though. I think there were a lot of other guys that I would be trying for before I would get to Derek Carr on that list. Um, but, hey, if I can get Derek Carr over the combination of uh, Magic Mike, Zach Wilson, and Joe Flacco, I'm in. I Do they take a step forward by bringing in Carr? Yes because they had Zach Wilson at quarterback. It's, it's not like it's a massive difference to where I'm going to say, hey, they've got Derek Carr. They're now contenders in the AFC. He doesn't do that for me. No. Is he a good quarterback? Yeah, if I'm an NFC team where there's not a lot of talent in the NFC at the quarterback position, I would not be bringing in Derek Carr to be my starting quarterback if I'm the New York Jets. When you have the assets to potentially go get someone that can take you to that next step, and Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion, does that. Lamar Jackson would I do would that. I would go Lamar Jackson before I would even talk about Derek Carr. Yeah, I Derek Carr, sure. Garoppolo, Geno Smith, those guys, they end up on the Jets' radar, in my opinion, is if you absolutely strike out and you can't get Rodgers, you can't you get Jackson. you say Geno Smith? Yeah, I mean, I think Geno's in the same category as Carr. I think Carr's better, but I think they're in the same category. I think that's right. But, yeah, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer if he goes to the Jets. It's insane. It's come an on absolutely insane thing I, to I, I love Diana, but come on now. I, the thing is, like, I, I like Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr is a, a pretty reasonable quarterback. I would also add this. Like, if you're the Jets, you have been through the wilderness for so long at the quarterback position that Derek Carr would be the best quarterback for the Jets since blank. What's the answer Mark to Sanchez? that question? It, I think he's better than Mark Sanchez. He, well, Sanchez played on very good teams, but say, he was but carried the time, by the defense. I would say Marv? probably since... Maybe the the one like really year good far far of year, but Oof. over a multi year stretch, I would say probably since Chad Pennington. Probably, I yeah. still think even if you put Derek Carr on that team, they'll be carried by their defense. Probably, but I mean, think about the quarterbacks that the Jets have had over the years. I, I, like I said, I, maybe it's just me and I hate Derek Carr. I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. I don't think he's that good of a quarterback that makes this New York Jets team a they're a contender now. Let me give you a list of the Jets quarterbacks over the last. Oh, this years. has got to be like Cleveland bad. It's, Do we have this amount of time? It's going to be a long say, list. Oh, man. It's not what you want. Let's put it that way. All right. Quarterbacks for the Jets that have thrown at least 500 passes over the last 20 years. It's not going to be a fun list to be able to go through. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, 20 bucks says Tanner can't remember oh, at least five remember, of these guys. I'll bet I'll remember most of these guys. So it's not a long list because there's not a ton of them that have thrown 500 passes for the they organization because they were so bad that they didn't get to 500 passes. Zach Wilson, Sam Darnold, Josh McCown. I forgot he started multiple years for them. Oh, I forgot about McCown. With the Ryan Jets. Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, Geno baby. Smith, Mark Sanchez, Brett Favre, Chad Pennington. 
I'm serious when I say he would be their best quarterback since Chad Pennington. And Chad Pennington last took a snap for them in 2007. Jeez. When you go from that to Derek Carr, you feel pretty good about it, man. This is a team that was drinking dirty, rotten water, and now they've Whoa. got a Bud Light. Suddenly, that warm Bud Light feel, tastes pretty good on a on a Saturday afternoon. He's not wrong. I mean, no, he's not, but still, it's warm. Might be out on it. As we continue with NFL quick hitters, guys, what do you think of this whole Eric Bieniemy situation? Bieniemy officially took the Washington Commanders offensive coordinator job. He's going to be their assistant head coach as well. We don't have to talk about the history of him not getting a head coaching job. He should be a head coach. Everybody that has his resume ends up getting a head coaching job and he hasn't. I I don't know why. I can't explain it. Do you think that he's going to have success in Washington? Can he have success? What would it take? Can he have success? Yes. Will he? Not unless they get a better quarterback. And I don't know who that quarterback is. I mean, what they've got right now, I don't see it happening because they've got a good offense in place, but Man, Carson Wentz can't stay healthy, and when he is healthy, he's still making the mistakes. Tyler Taylor Heineke has the short amount of success, but then their head coach, Ron Rivera, says, yeah, you're not good enough. We're going to take you out of the spot. So he absolutely can have success because of his ability to create offense, but he's got to get a better quarterback before we could sit there and say he's going to have success and get that next head coaching job. Yeah, I think he can have success in Washington. It does come down to quarterback for me because I do like their uh, roster. I, I think they've got some weapons. You know, Terry, or sorry, not Terry. Yeah, Terry, Terry uh, McLaren. McLaren's there. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking of Dots, and that's why I blanked for a second. I like Dots, and I think he's going to be a really good number two for them. He helped you in your fantasy team. He did. He helped me get to a championship. Oh, that's why you like him. Uh, but I thought I thought he was really good as a, I think he's a rookie out of Penn State this past season or in his second year. But I, I, I really like him. I, I like the weapons on their roster. I, uh... What's going on? It was the first year. You're right. Okay. For some reason, I felt wrong. I like the defensive side of the ball, and I think Ron Rivera is a good head coach. I, I just do think they need that quarterback. And that's where, like, if you put Derek Carr on Washington, I think they could have success. And I think they could go on a decent run in the playoffs because the NFC is so weak. I just That's why I'm against the Jets doing it, because he's more that mid-tier. They should be shooting for higher, especially in the AFC. NFC, you could have a mid-tier quarterback. That's a good point. And you could be the second-best team in the in the NFC. All right, final thing here. We'll get to Chris Kerber on the other side. Guys, Bryce Young is going to become a topic of conversation over the course of the next month or so. Uh, Really, two months as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. CBS Sports put out a mock draft today. They had Anthony Richardson of Florida going number one overall. I like Anthony Richardson, and I think I'm buying in. I think I'm falling for it. What happens when you drink warm beer? Who is taking him? Uh, they had the Colts trading up to take Anthony Richardson. Out of all the quarterbacks available, they're going Anthony Richardson. Ugh. So Bryce Young, they had going number two. If you watched college football for more than a second this year, you know Bryce Young was the best quarterback in college football last year. That is eligible for the draft. I think Connor Williams is the best quarterback, or Caleb Williams, excuse me, is the best quarterback. But Bryce Young of the draft eligible was the most productive last year. Guys, Bryce Young is going to be like five foot nine. I looked it up earlier today. The entire list of quarterbacks in the last 20 years that have been drafted at his size or similar. Kyler Murray, Tua Tungavailoa, Johnny Manziel, Russell Wilson, Ian Book, Aaron Murray, Trace McSorley. End of list. Ian Book. Would you guys take, despite his size, Bryce Young at number one overall? No, I wouldn't. I I would be going C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and probably would take uh, Anthony. No. Richardson. 
That one would be tough for me because I feel like the skill of Bryce Young would make me wonder compared to Anthony Richardson because I'd be looking at size in that circumstance. But no, I'd be taking Levis or Stroud before I would be taking Bryce Young. See, I would take. I think Bryce Young is the best all-around quarterback in this class. I would take Bryce Young at number one. I did not. I liked Herbert better than Tua. I did like Mac Jones, but I I would take Bryce. I would take Bryce Young. I I think Bryce Young. He is smaller in statue, so I understand the concern. He is tiny. But he doesn't he won't scramble around as much as Kyler does, which is where I think the injury concern came with Kyler. He will can if he, his offensive can, line sucks. That's fair, but I don't think it's gonna be one of those where I think sometimes Kyler just runs to run and doesn't all, go through his uh progressions all the way. I, I think Bryce Bryce Young will do that. I, I don't think he'll be the quarterback that just takes off and runs all the time. I think he'll be smart pick his spots and do it kind of like what Joe Burrow does, but Bryce Young better speed. In my opinion, I I would still take Bryce Young number one overall. I think that's a miss. If you're the team that has the number one pick, if you trade up and don't select him, I think both of these things are true. I think Bryce Young is going to be the best rookie quarterback that we see in the NFL this year. I'm not taking him number one. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm height shaming. I'm size shaming. I'm Mm. doing all of those different things. Tanner, when I can put him next to you and you guys have similar height and I can put him next to Alex and they have similar similar size. That's a problem. Shot it. Was that a fat joke in me? No, it was oh, the opposite. Oh, okay. You're slim. Who's got bigger You're hands? Trim. Probably him. I God, I hope he him. Um, Bryce Young is a small guy, man. And I really worry after seeing the recent history of players that are his size. I worry about what that's going to look like three to five years down the road. And if I'm drafting a quarterback number one overall, I need that guy to be my stud three to five years down the road from now. So for me, I'm not taking Bryce Young. I would give serious consideration to taking Anthony Richardson because I've seen guys that are his size, that are his skill set, that end up becoming studs. I might get fired as a result. Very possible. But the dude has all of the skills to come into the NFL in three to five years from now, be the best quarterback selected in this year's draft. That's the route that I would go. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're hitting the rewind. But next, Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up at about 10 minutes. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind, but right now, Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues is joining us via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line curves. We were having a conversation earlier today and somehow we ended up on the topic of the best movies of Nicolas Cage's career. <laughs> Wanted to bring you in on this conversation. What's your favorite all time Nicolas Cage movie? Man, that is something I have given pretty much no thought to. Well, um, this is a perfect time to do it. Uh, Kerbs. I actually, I, I, I like the uh, the National Treasure series. Oh, no, Come on, Kurtz. no way! We said that's a Joey answer. No we way. said you're going to go with a different one. But did, did wait, wait? I was going to go with a different one. We thought I, 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 I said. I'm I said shocked. you were a. I said you have to be a Con Air or a The Rock type of Nicolas Cage guy. I thought for sure oh, that okay. was. No, I, had, actually, I like. I like both those movies. I kind of forgot about them too. I had um, outside odds on Gone in sixty seconds. I had that at like five to one on the board. It was at. Uh, I remember watch. I remember going to the theaters to watch Face Off with him and John Travolta. Yeah, that was another one. Um, that was that was one. But uh, I no, I like the. I kind of like the, the National Treasure, you know, uh, series. But if I had, I don't know, if I had to watch watch The Rock, or National Treasure, or Gone in sixty seconds. Uh, I would probably go 
National Treasure, Rock, gone in 60 seconds. Curves agree or disagree? Nicholas Cage is like the nickelback of actors. People like to hate on him, but he's better. I don't don't get the nickelback thing. I've never understood. Like, I'm sitting here thinking, like, when Nickelback is playing, and I'm going, and and I don't know, like, did Nickelback do something that I don't know about? Like, was there something that all of a sudden they became this, like, like, well, I mean, you can't say they're a sellout because just about every freaking artist is a sellout, all the way down to Bob Seger with his commercial for Like a Rock. True. And Bob Seger's, and I'm a, that's an all-time favorite of mine, right? Like, th- this is one of those, I think eventually Nickelback just got in the road of something, and now people are scared to say I like it. Well, you may know me a little bit well, fellas, because, like, I don't really care what too many people think of things, and so I, you know... Hell, I got everything from Neil Diamond to whatever on my iPhone here. So, like, if, if it's a song, I like it. I like it. I, I've never understood that Nickelback thing. You know what it is, Curves? People that hate on Nickelback have to be kind of like BK, where they just hate really good things. What? They just like to no, hate you know good is? things. Like, hey, hey, you can bring this up to them next time you have them on, too, right? Like, what happens is people now feel like they have to say they hate Nickelback. Kind of like Joey feels like he ha- and, and you, too, Alex. You feel like... You have to say you don't, you can't stand Star Wars and think it's nuts, despite the fact that it's like this several billion dollar industry movie thing that's lasted 40 years and has spinoffs and all this other stuff. But you've put it in, you've entrenched yourself so much that you feel like you have no choice. In, you, you couldn't even give it a chance. It's like me eating beets. I don't know. If I, I just refuse to eat beets anymore because I hated them as a kid. My mom forced me to hate them. I might right now really love a beet. But there's no chance in hell I'm going to eat a beat. No, you know what, though, Curbs? I, I have given it a chance, and I like the, the original three Star Wars. I watched it with my wife about two years ago. I enjoyed those. But after those, I hated them because I just didn't, I didn't get into it as much as people do. So I gave them a chance, enjoyed it, but I also just disliked it. But see, that's, see now there, there's, there's a flip side to that. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, I can... Uh, I just recently watched The Sopranos. I never had gone through and watched The Sopranos. I'd seen episodes here, episodes there. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay. And finally, when I, by the time I was getting to season four, I'm like, okay, all right, so we got two smart-ass kids that uh, don't get disciplined. Uh, you got a husband and a wife that are fighting, and every now and then we got somebody being tough on this other guy. I'm like, I got to go through four more seasons of this, right? And it's And it's not that it wasn't good or the writing wasn't good. It's just that, okay, I'm done at this point, but but I would never tell. I would. I, I don't think it was bad. So I don't know. Beats, Sopranos, Seager, Neil Diamond. It's a good talk. I don't know how the hell we got to Beats, but that was good. <laughs> well, least, you know what? I, on, the, on the plane flight, on the plane flight to uh, between Ottawa and Carolina, flying attendant came by with some with some dinner, and I forget what it was. It was oh, it was actually it was it was Beats. some chicken. It was the best chicken I'd ever had on a on, on a plane. Anyway. The chicken and it puts down and and I didn't see the menu part. We're on the right at the end. It said in beets and I'm like, holy crap! There's two beets on it. and then there's beet juice running into like the chicken and I'm like, oh no. Well, and Curbs already like, hates chicken I'm too. A, I'm t- well, yeah, I eat chicken. I don't hate chicken. I just think that it's in so many ways flavorless. So I don't. I wonder what the point of chicken is. It takes on the right? flavor but, of whatever you cook it with, Curbs. Right, and then when the beat starts to flow into the chicken, I am literally performing surgery on this piece of chicken to make sure that I'm not even eating the red beet juice that had touched the skin. So I can I can understand people apparently 
I mean, for me, it's beats. For some people, it's Nickelback. <laughs> and for Doug Armstrong, it's this roster that he's doing surgery on right now. <laughs> We're talking to Chris Gerber, the voice of the Blues. That's that was nice the greatest transition I've ever had. That was phenomenal. I want it to be known. I'm proud of what I just did, and I'm not ashamed to say that I'm proud of it. Um, Curbs, all right. Um, I'm trying to think of a good way to ask this question, but what? Just what, ask it. What? <laughs> What was that? What happened last night? Why did they play as poorly as they did? Uh, well, guys, they they played a much better hockey team. Carolina's good, I mean, like really good. Yeah. Well, Carolina's the second best team in the National Hockey League uh, from a record standpoint, from a point standpoint. One of the best defensive teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, the, the goaltender that they played against last night is uh, part of the reigning Jennings Trophy, you know, winning tandem. That what you saw, frankly, last night, I don't know that I can say so much Ottawa, but clearly Colorado, right? Um, you saw an inferior team playing a better team. You saw some moments where you can make some plays, get some goals like the fault goal, right? But when a team can just come at you in waves like Carolina can, and I talked to Paul Stastny at the morning skate about this for Carolina, it, you know, it can just wear you down. And the Blues just are not good enough. Now, in the last three games, the top-end guys for this team, and by the way, you're missing Saad, you're missing Butch Navich. Then, of course, everyone's aware of the trades. Okay, so what was a top six is really now a top two or three when you talk about Saad, you know, uh, when you talk about Chen, Kairou, and Thomas. Barbashev moving up in the lineup a little bit. But what's really happening, in my opinion, is the teams, because of the trade of O'Reilly and Tarasenko, you cannot hide 18 and 25 anymore. And those guys are getting a hell of an education right now in the kind of matchups that Braden Shen, that Ryan O'Reilly, that Vladimir Tarasenko, that Jaden Schwartz, and those guys have faced shift in, shift out, game in, game out, every single night in the National Hockey League. And this is an important learning curve because they're going to go into an offseason and realize, that's what I am going to be facing now every night in the National Hockey League. Jordan Cairo must have pulled up on three or five plays yesterday where, you know, the hit was coming. And by the way, that's kind of natural, and that could be – that's okay. You remember the greatest show on turf. Sometimes the yards after the catch weren't always there because if someone was coming in to hit, just go down, take the yardage, and get back up so you don't get killed, right? And so that's not – when I say that, it's not always a bad thing. But you could see the way that teams, Ottawa was out there to hit Cairo every single time. They were slashing, right? Uh, you, you saw Colorado slashing them. They were hitting him. They were going in for the body every single time. And that's a wake-up call to those guys. And those guys, from an offensive standpoint, have gone completely quiet in these last three games. And then the other part of it is the, the roster below them doesn't have the skill to keep some of that momentum going, so you got to rebuild it. And, and this is the difference in, you know, kind of a high-end talent team and a team that doesn't have as much skill. Curve's final question that I've got, and it is a, a bit of a follow-up on that in, in some ways. Um, it, it has nothing to do, of course, with the St. Louis Blues, but um, can you rank these four players in terms of how they would help improve uh, the Blues roster in a hypothetical world? Timo Meyer, Alex Dabrinkit, Dylan Larkin, Jacob uh, Chikrin. Well, let's 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 go backwards first with with Chikrin. Um, Chikrin brings you a little bit more youth, um, a little bit more skating. You're going to have to 
that's just to me. Chickren is just bringing you a, a different size. Uh, his shot and stuff. He's going to have to replace somebody, maybe like a Tory Krug, you know, in, in the lineup. Someone's got to go before that part can happen. Because going into that game yesterday, you had the full healthy defenseman until Krug got hurt, um, and and every one of those eight defensemen that you had on the roster, uh, including you know, Tucker, are all under contract the next year. All right, so. You know, part of a, a defensive shakeup with as poor as this team's been defensively is where the Chickren thing comes into play. Um, Dylan Larkin, ah, you know, I I think you can go find that somewhere if, if you need it. I, like, depending on where they are, that one does it. Alex Dabrinkit, look, Alex Dabrinkit can flat out score and he's got skill. Um, the, the, the Ottawa Senators, I. I with the direction they're going, I'd, I'd be shocked to see the Ottawa Senators do something with Alex Dabrinkit. But the, one of the other issues, too, is whether you look at Alex Dabrinkit, some of these other guys you're looking. Size is a big deal. And, and the Blues no longer have much size. They, they, they really don't have a whole lot of size in the up-front area. Um, and then, you know, the other one you mentioned is Timo Meyer, and I know there's been some rumors out here. All right, now you've got, now you've got some high-end skill, a guy that can play across the, the line. Uh, he's got the age 26. You sign him to a long-term contract, but if you got a guy like Timo Meyer, who's clearly a, a goal scorer, 31 goals in 54 games, you've got another guy you're going to lock in to a long-term contract. That might give you three forwards on eight-year deals, right? You know, now that could be good, but if something goes haywire, you know, you, you could be you could be caught for a while. So. It's an interesting one. The one that intrigues me the most out of all those is a Timo Meyer, because if the Blues were to make a move for a guy like Timo Meyer and get him and extend him, and I don't, there's no chance the Blues make a move to get him without knowing that they can extend him. And I don't believe Greer in San Jose has given anybody permission to talk to Claude Lemieux, Timo Meyer's agent. But if they get him uh, and they extend him, then that shows you just how quick of a turnaround Doug Armstrong is looking for. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. I'm I'm Team Timo as well. And Team Beat. Appreciate you hopping on with us. We look forward to listening to some Nickelback together very soon. <laughs> Bro, uh, Alex, there's a simple rule in life. If it stains corningware, don't eat it. Oh, yeah. Okay. And do, do your, both of you, both of you do yourselves a favor. Don't make your kids eat beets. Oh, yeah. No, my daughter will not eat that trash. Baby. Uh, Dwight Troop said it best, Curbs. No beets. Bears, Beats, Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Appreciate you, no Curbs. Beats. We'll talk with you again next right, week. Chris Kerber, voice week. of the Blues. You'll hear him on the call for Blues versus Avalanche on Saturday afternoon, a noon star. No, that noon was week. last Saturday. They play tomorrow Damn. against the uh, Vancouver Canucks, and then on Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. What Alex said. The rewind <laughs> is next. Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. missed 
any of the show today, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coaching. Alex, who do we have tomorrow? I don't know. So we got somebody tomorrow at 1130, right? Joe Vitale. And? Eno Saris. There we go. And? That's it. Oh. I offered an NHL analyst, and BK said, I don't want him. So. Mm. Oh, I thought we had somebody else coming on tomorrow. Nope. Oh, well, that's bad job by me. Nope, this is embarrassing for all of us. I thought we had someone from north of the border. That's, uh, this we is do rough. have Eno Saris, Hopefully. who said earlier today, no. he believes that Lars Newtbar could legitimately hit 25 home runs, hit 280 on the season, and steal 10 bags, which oh. is something that only like four guys have done for the Cardinals in the last 20 years. Tanner's so on board with that. to hear his context on that tomorrow with Eno Saris of The Athletic. Appreciate you guys tuning in today. If you want to hear our conversation about uh, St. Louis City SC, you can check out questions and answers. We did talk a little bit of soccer today. Tomorrow, I will give you the history of expansion teams and what they did in year one. No, please. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Didn't go up for most of them. Talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. Fastlane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. What the You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.